Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee, and we have back with us again our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hi, everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back with you guys. It is. It's been like uh, almost, it's been it's a, been a month, I guess, since Whoa. we've been together in the mm-hmm. same podcast studio. So, And we're going to be together a lot, a lot. <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. We'll get into Chad's, that in a bit. Chad's an introvert, everyone. So uh, <laughs> a lot is a lot. Job and I are fine with it. Um, episode 220, we had Amber Pierce. It was a blast. Um, that was a good one. 221, Andy Blow of Precision Hydration. So incredibly informative. Like, and, and on like a complex topic where there's a whole lot of opinion and conjecture and kind of also like unexplored points of it. Like we just don't know quite enough. And yeah, I really enjoyed that one, man. He was good. It was awesome. So if you haven't listened to that one, check it out. Then two twenty two, we had, um, Kelly Starrett from the ready state on there, which was awesome at Strava. Uh, we, and thank you everybody for, for being understanding on the audio quality and everything else. So, uh, we have lessons learned from that one. Uh, we're going to pack our own setup with us at all times and, and rely on that so we can control it for all of you. So we've, we've spoiled you with a good experience. So we'll try to continue to make it better. We're going to get straight into things with Daniel's question. Mm-hmm. He says, Hey guys, first off, thanks for a great product. In eight months, my FTP has increased from 4.3 to 4.5 Watts per kilogram. Nice. That gets really hard to make those sort of gains. Yeah, when you start getting up into the mid fours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like 0.1 is a huge thing to celebrate. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he says, and I bounced back from ankle surgery faster than I thought was possible. Uh, more importantly, I just finished the park city point to point in seven hours and 32 minutes. That is really fast for those that don't know. So people have said that that race is harder than Leadville. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's really worth comparing them just because they're two, they're really different. Like I know it's a mountain bike, two mountain bike races, but this one's like entirely single track. It's not high elevation, is it? Yeah, it is park it city. Is. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right. So you're six to 9,000 feet in that race. Okay. So he's got high. some skill too. Cause it's all single track to go that fast. Yeah. If anything, he's got a really powerful like mind or like an enduring mind because <laughs> I professor f- X yeah, <laughs> professor X. Cause I find that's like something even though I can, like, I'm not stressed out about riding on single track at all. It's not like, Oh, it feels narrow, but it adds up, you know, like when you ride it for the day, cognitive demand. Yeah. Yeah. It really starts to add up. Mm-hmm. And that race I think is definitely one. So he mentions that his PR that he got was around 30 minutes faster than last year. And he says, my greatest achievement to date was finishing in front of Katarina Nash in the BC bike race, even if it was only one stage. <laughs> That's a huge accomplishment. Wins yes. She's world. She won a world cup. Oh yeah. 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 Like she's many world cups, four right? world cups, maybe yeah. more. Well Sorry, Katarina. Cross this, this season yeah, she's already won a world cup this year, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Um, at what? 41. Yeah. And she is a, f- uh, she's, so she's a two time winter Olympian, I think three times summer Olympian, something like that. Five time Olympian. She's Daniel, I checked as it gets. to see on that stage if she flatted twice, but no, <laughs> <laughs> no she, yeah. so that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I've cross raced her before and she lapped me. Yeah. Yeah. She's so fast. Uh, and congrats, Katarina. She's a friend of the podcast and congrats, Katarina on winning Grinduro. Yeah, she just won that over the weekend. So after a good start this year. Yep. And she did it on a hardtail with like normal XC tires and everything else. Uh, and she won Grinduro. So it was all dirt this year. So anyways, interesting stuff. Okay. He says, I have a question regarding altitude training. You always hear sleep high and train low. I understand the rationale for sleeping high, but why train low? I know that when training at altitude, the number of Watts you can produce will be, dis- will be decreased, but your body doesn't really care how many Watts are displayed on your power meter. If physiological, and then, so these are all his assumptions here. He says, if physi- physiological adaptation, and in parentheses, he says the increased number and productivity of mitochondria, et cetera, exactly right. is the end goal. Then why does the altitude at which you create the stimulus matter? If you do an interval with an RPE of 10 at 7,000 feet, 
does your body respond any differently than if you did the same interval, different Watts, but same RPE at sea level. It seems like if you create the demand for energy and oxygen, then your body will work to increase the supply regardless of altitude. Is this inaccurate? Thanks again, Daniel. It's interesting. And I've wondered this very thing. I've wrestled with this in the past too. Um, you're kind of mixing stress with strain uh, to some extent, or really stress with stimulus. It's the same mm. stress on the body, but it's not providing the same stimulus. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm going to go with this. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I know someone, and this is the misconception, and I think I've even perpetuated this myself in maybe years past, is that if you have more oxygen to work with, then you have a greater work capacity and this leads to greater adaptations. But that's kind of where it, it jumps tracks. More oxygen does yield greater work capacity, assuming you're aerobically fit enough, but it doesn't necessarily stimulate more adaptations. You can do more work, but it might not be enough of a challenge to make your muscles realize they need to do more. Got it. So it, it might not provide that necessary stimulus. So it's not like just a direct, like, because I have more, it will be more. Nope. Got it. Yeah. Nope. Nope. And, and, and the potential for more work is just that it's potential. doesn't mean you're going to be able to do more work. You have to have the, the muscular capabilities to do it. You have to have the mitochondria, you have to have the oxidative enzymes. There have to be certain things in place. And those are, uh, adaptations that take place over time, mm -hmm. assuming they're provided a sufficient stimulus. So right. again, that's where we're going. Um, so Chad's busting out handwritten yeah, notes actually, on this one. I started scribbling things and then it evolved and now I'm going to have to rely on my notes because there's just too much to type in. Good, uh, okay. Yeah. It'll go I'm going to lean back and drink my coffee. I quick. love this. Cool. All right. Good. Cause there's, there's, there's much to share. I'm, I'm barely going to interrupt you. <laughs> that was a That's point okay. for those that don't okay. know. I could use the breather here and there. Um, okay. So let's just be clear that when it's competition, that's when we want to exploit work capacity. With workouts, it's not so much about work capacity, it's about training stimulus. Mm. Okay, so just reiterate that a second or a third time, whatever. So first, let's talk about what we're trying to accomplish with the whole live high end of things, and then we'll get to the train low. So when you're when you're at high altitude, you're in hypoxic conditions. So the air's thinner, there's less oxygen concentration per volume of air, and this leads to certain things in the body. The kidneys produce more erythropoietin. Mm -hmm. That erythropoietin goes to the red blood cells and produces more marrow and more hemoglobin. So EPO. Or, I'm sorry, in the marrow, it produces more red blood cells and more hemoglobin mass. So you not only have more cells to carry oxygen and shuttle out CO2, but you also have more of the necessary uh, protein that clings to those, those uh, molecules. And in the end, you increase your oxygen, your oxygen carrying capacity, and this can lift your hematocrit hmm. in, 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 at the same time. So more red blood cells per volume of blood. And this, this increased oxygen carrying capacity is good, again, if you have the muscular capability to utilize the incoming oxygen. If you don't have the capillary beds, if you haven't undergone the angiogenesis necessary to stimulate those new blood vessels and, and so that you can impart more oxygen to the muscle. If you don't have the, the oxidative enzymes to use the, the incoming oxygen and you know, whatever substrate, the fat or the, or the glucose, it doesn't really matter how much oxygen you can push to the muscle, you also have to be able to utilize it. Hmm. So this increase in aerobic work capacity is a potential. It's not an automatic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. So erythropoiesis in the case of high elevation is, is what the, is really the name of the game. We want production of more red blood cells. So, and that's, and that's all good and fine. But like I just said, you also have to have the muscular ca ca capacity or the capabilities. And that is why we train low. That's why we train at a sufficient or a low enough elevation to where we can push enough oxygen to the muscles to actually challenge the existing mitochondria. 
because if we're pushing pushing oxygen to to only a handful of the mitochondria, then what's the stimulus to say I need more mitochondria? I need greater aerobic work capacity. I need greater proliferation or uh, mitochondrial biogenesis. Mm-hmm. It's not there. So if we don't have enough air to even elicit that stim- or provide that stimulus, then we're not going to get the eventual adaptation. Right. Okay. So the the stress. Um, let's see. So if we, if we have a low oxygen concentration, we're, we're effectively blunting the intended, intended stimulus. Right. So that, that's, that's, put, that's put simply. And what happens is we get a detraining effect. So instead of, you know, we're, we're exerting more stress on the body, but in terms of training adaptation, we're actually detraining in the process. Yes, our red blood cells go up and we now have a greater oxygen cap- carrying capacity, but our muscular capabilities are on the decline. Mm. So you're kind of, kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so just to kind of drive this home in terms of the efficacy of the whole live high, train low, uh, approach, it was back in 2006, John, Peter Worland and colleagues recruited 10 elite athletes and over 24 days. And that's an important point to remember 24 days. We're not talking about a, you know, a one week or a two week modification. This is three weeks uh, or plus of living and training at high altitude. And in, in particular, they lived at 2,500 meters, which is about 8,200 feet. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the sweet spot. Somewhere between 2,000 and 2,500 meters seems to be the sweet spot for for altitude uh, acclimatization. And when they trained, they trained at either 1,800 meters or 1,000 meters, and that's roughly 5,900 feet, roughly 3,300 feet. And and the difference being when they're at 1,800 meters, they did their low or moderate intensity work. That was about 85% of their training. Mm-hmm. The other 15% was comprised of high-intensity interval training hit, and that was done at 1,000 meters. So still mm-hmm. not sea level. They're still not in the, you know, the most plentiful oxygen or the richest air, but still plenty of oxygen to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what they saw was about a 5% bump in both their red blood cell volume and their hemoglobin mass. So true, they, they, they did in fact enhance their oxygen carrying capacity. And because they did it right and they trained low, not just lived high, they also improved their sea level performance by I think a similar percentage. But either way, it was measurable and these are already elite level athletes. Yeah, I think it was like two, like their actual times were like two to 5% faster. Yeah, which in elites is a big deal. Oh, well, especially huge. in that amount of time period. I want to say 2%. And that's the other thing. Yeah. That, that may seem like a long time. And it is for people who are on a, you know, just a regular day-to-day schedule and on a budget and have family and other obligations where they can't spend three, three plus weeks at ele- elevation. Yeah, yeah. It's tough to do. So, right? it, but, but this is too, they got to drive down. Yeah. It's both. Yeah, like, and, and oh, they're yeah, aware. true. Yeah, so it's even more time. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, they're spending a lot of time focused on one particular thing, you know, performance improvement and, and this particular type of adaptation. There are rare spots in the world where you can kind of pick and choose like that, right? Like even have access to the to terrain to be able to train and do that. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. You have to be, you have to have a place where you can make all that gel. I've mm-hmm. talked about this before, but I was part of a study to test. Um, to, to work out with more air than sea level. Yeah. So that at the gym, you got a comment on that. Yeah. I, an so interesting one. I want that. They're trying to test if it was like safe for people. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like one yeah. of the people they're like, oh, is this safe? Yeah, so <laughs> it was safe. We're a lab rat. Improvement because oh, so it was, <clears throat> it was supposed to, it was single blind and, um, I was doing treadmill tests mm-hmm. and when I had the extra oxygen, my gosh, like it sure. was, sure. It you, was, I think it, I was at 26%. I think sea level is like 24% and I was at 26. Uh, and it was just amazing. 
uh, and we all in feel terms it too. of amazing, like what like in the, the feeling moment, in for terms the of same, performance for the same pace. And I did like it, uh, there was like a step test for no. the same pace. It was so much easier. Just like when we go to sea level, like your RPE was lower. My lower. RPE was lower for the same pace in the treadmill. Yeah, yeah. so it felt a little easier to go the the same fast. A pace. lot easier. A lot easier. Yeah. Just like a uh, sea level. You guys, okay. you guys, sea level lots okay. are huge. And that's that's all good and fine. But if you look back at Kilding, and I couldn't find the year on this. I did find the study or my notes on the study, but I couldn't find the year. But it's K I L D I N G. Is the author of the study, uh, amongst others. They they use hyperoxic training to do the very thing that Nate's describing here, and it it, it effectively lowered the hit related improvements. Hmm. So because they saturated the muscle with oxygen, the stimulus once again wasn't sufficient enough to say need more mitochondria. They hmm. were providing plentiful oxygen, and because of it, it actually blunted the stimulus. Interesting. So were they going so, deep. I don't know. I, I don't have a whole lot of details on this. I, um, I tried to look it up this morning, kind of ran out of time. But the the fact is. It, it, it may have improved performance in the moment, but it didn't increase the necessary stimulus for further adaptation. Interesting. So I, I'd like to look at that study because um, for watts, like we have, a, it's really easy to measure our performance, right? With watts. Totally. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would think that I would want to do like my VO2 max efforts down at sea level. And you, yeah. I can get do like 30 more watts for, uh, actually I've taken my, when we did it in sea level, I have a huge benefit. I've yeah. done my three-minute power for 10 minutes at sea level. Yeah, man, that's right. an increase in performance, but again, not something that would spur adaptation yes, necessarily. It, it seems like an artificial alteration. I, I think I'm, so. I'm drawing like a, a parallel in my mind with this to back in the day with motorcycles and carburetors. I know they're fuel-injected now, but when I was growing up, it was all carbureted. So you decided how much oxygen went in. You decided how much fuel went in. Yeah. And then it would, if you hit the right mixture, you would get the right amount of combustion and then things would work right. Right. And I feel like it's interesting kind because of what's when happening you're talking in the about moment. performance, yeah, that's like where you want to go. But the interesting thing is adaptation, right? And yeah, so, I so wonder, that's, that's in the moment. But what about the after effects? Exactly right. Yeah. We have that study that shows yeah. that it did in increase their performance over 28 days. Living high. Yep. Living high, Living high training it. low. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but we're not talking about saturating the, the muscle in the moment with extra oxygen. Yeah, you're talking Two about that things. isolating that no, variable. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm confused because <laughs> I don't know how my body knows the difference is if I live high and then I do one hour VO2 max that, workout. That's the difference between hypoxia and muscle saturation. So the, the amount of oxygen in the air versus the amount of oxygen being utilized at the muscle. Yeah. Two yeah. different things. Yeah. Uh, and, and a finer point, my but, but an important one. If I'm living at 8,000 feet... And I drive down to sea level and do, or 55,000 feet like this. Oh, I see what you're saying. Did. Yeah. And they did get, they got performance from that. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'm living at 8,000 feet and then I do, I put a mask on myself and it, I get the same oxygen as 5,000 feet for those hour workouts and they're intense mm -hmm. and I'm putting out more Watts. Uh, I don't understand how the different, like there would be a difference between the outcome. There wouldn't like, be. Your body wouldn't know. Unless there there's some be. kind of like pressure thing that I don't because these guys are still yeah. living at altitude though they're still gaining all the adaptations that come with the hypoxic environment up yeah top. I'm saying I'm living at 8,000 feet yep yeah, yeah yeah you guys are both saying the same things I mean I'm a mediator right now no I, I hear it too <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I know we're saying the same things yeah you're saying the same things the point is that what Chad's getting at is whether in terms of adaptations what actually helps adaptation does purely saturating the muscle with more oxygen help adaptation yeah, I don't think that's that what training is going to lead to the interesting thing faster need, bike riders uh, yeah I think we're uh, the work has to increase not just the oxygen and that's like kind of the main takeaway let's like let's get away from what's going on inside the muscle and then look back at Daniel's question, right? Because Daniel, in this case, is asking, like, why train low? And the point of training low is, is to, to provide a sufficient stimulus. Yeah, exactly right. You right? go harder. 
Yep, you can go harder, yeah. you can do more, and you can, especially yeah. when you're talking about higher intensity You basically training. have to outpace your muscle's current demands. You have to make all the mitochondria scream for oxygen yeah. and, then, and then basically deny it. Right. Rather and than provide insufficient oxygen so that you can't even recruit all the mitochondria, which yeah. is what happens when you're up at elevation. And and so that's the intent of training low, just to be very literal yeah. with his question. Yep. So what happens, you might think of, well, why can't I just always train low? Because I'm always going to do this. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, there's like, so they've studied this a lot. And then, so you get the benefits of the blood at mm -hmm. 8,000 feet or, you know, high elevation. Even here, we get benefits. Yeah. You go low, you get the benefits to be able to do more work. Mm -hmm. It's a wash. It's like the percentage difference um, of mm -hmm. improvement are like sense. the same. So it's a wash. So this yeah. is why the very best would be if you could live high yeah. and have all the blood. And then you train low and have all the work capacity and you have to go hard. If you just do, so like to Chad's point, Agreed. if you're at doing 300 watt 20 minute intervals at 8,000 feet, then you do 300 watt 20 minute intervals at sea level, you're not it's getting the benefit. Yeah. But if you could now, like that 300 watts was all out, at sea level you can go 320 or 330, mm -hmm. you'll get a benefit. And that's why too, they, they have the people doing hit stuff. Like, and yeah. usually VO2 max too. They mm -hmm. really want to take advantage yeah, of that extra exactly air. right, yeah. So this is also what, what we have an advantage we, we lived in Truckee. Truckee's at like 6,200 feet. Yeah, Incline Village, right? Yeah, yeah. that would mm -hmm. be great. But there are um, mountain bike races and crits at like sea level mm -hmm. that we can travel to in the same day. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I, I actually did that last year where I did a bunch of sweet spot and then my VO2 max workouts, I'm using air quotes, mm -hmm. are these really intense uh, on-off mountain bike races with not climbing. Yeah, and <laughs> you just saw improvement through the good roof, training. Right? Yeah, it's nice. So once a week, I could do, I could add a very, very intense uh, ride. I mean, it's a race, right? But mm -hmm. it's uh, still, I'm getting pegged. And uh, yeah. if you have that strategy, it's very unique though. Yeah. Uh, around the world to have a, to a place that's like so close that you can actually drive down lower. Yeah. And then come back. Yeah. Um, and on, and on top of that, I mean, and I think you're kind of doing this if you can incorporate a little bit of heat stress into the whole mix, oh, yeah. which which heat stress actually kind of goes the other way where you train low, live high, mm -hmm. train in low temperatures, and then not necessarily live in high temperatures, but expose yourself yeah. to some additional heat after the fact. So a form of living mm -hmm. at high temperatures, then you get the bump in plasma volume on top of all of it. So yeah. really all this hematologic, you know, blood related adaptation, that's super beneficial to endurance performance. Yeah, yeah. I know. So I, I struggle with this. So we have the sauna here. And I want to use it every time, but it's just a time commitment. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about just waiting. Actually, I should be using this week because we're going to Hawaii next week. Yeah. I thought the same thing. <laughs> just go sit in it even, even, if I, even if I don't tie it to workouts. I know. I'm just going to wear this. Yeah. Like button-up shirt. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a sweaty mess. <laughs> uh, but I think I was going to do it like we've talked about, maybe seven, like a week before my first mountain bike races. Mm -hmm. And it'll be snow on the ground in Reno yeah. Uh, yeah. just to get that extra benefit. Extra. And that's, and that's the key here because we've talked a lot about sauna training and how it can benefit your, your performance in the heat. Well, sitting on a trainer, even with a fan, it still produces a ton of heat. I mean, there's a reason you're sweating. Oh, yeah. So there's still a lot of heat yeah. shock proteins. There's still a lot of the Im improvements, potential improvements in blood plasma. So all those things still come with your workouts. We're just layering a, a little bit of icing on that cake. Here's a study mm -hmm. I'd like to see. With heat adaption, we've seen that the uh, like you, your short-term performance can increase, right? Mm -hmm. I want to know that if you do heat adaption training and you do it for, I don't know, two months, yeah. and then you compare to people who did the same training but didn't do that, and then you do a washout, like you do two weeks of just the standard training without any heat adaption, mm -hmm. and then you do a test, were the performances and the people that trained, like, were they able to go deeper? Yeah. People that trained with heat adaption, did they have a better outcome 
Yeah, that like would, like that, a psychological adjustment? Or? No, no, like um, physiological. Okay. So after you do a washout, so after all the plasma's back to normal, like, yeah. did that period of being able to go harder? Deliver um, additional yep. physiologically adaptation. though. Because yes. the plasma volume change is going to yeah, so be long it's, gone. It's just yeah. like this training low, like being able to go deeper for uh, eight weeks. Which smacks of psychology, the deeper part. Uh, being able to put out more watts. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's I'd like measuring to see, it in terms of performance. Yeah, exactly. To see like if that eight weeks, sure. Is, is, I would think that it would. It was just like this. You have greater uh, work capacity. Yeah. So uh, you should be able to. So why shouldn't I be doing this year round? But I don't know. I, that has to be proven. That's my hypothesis. If there's anybody that just wants to do studies at our whim, uh, we have plenty of ideas. So <laughs> yeah, we throw exactly. them out at all times. Yeah, and I do want to make. <clears throat> this is kind of off topic. Sure. It's on topic, but it's a bit of a tangent. Um, so low brain oxygenation, we're always talking about muscle oxygenation, mm -hmm. but there's also low low oxygen to the brain, and this has particular effects also. It can limit basically central drive, so how, how much your brain will allow your body to work. And, and, and That's that, why we give up. <laughs> yeah, and to an extent, this, this there, there are forms of adaptation that come along with this, but the central fatigue can actually pull down your work capacity mm -hmm. in, in a kind of an artificial way. I mean, it's a protective mechanism, really. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have to compete in high elevation, familiarizing yourself with this sort of brain fog and racing and racing through it can actually be, or it has the potential to be a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. So it's something worth considering. I mean, most people I think would probably try to avoid doing workouts in this sort of brain hazy state, mm -hmm. but there is a potential competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah, I felt that at Leadville. And you can see that when people are going up Columbine, not a lot of uh, sharp thinking going on up at that point, right? <laughs> We're all a little sideways. <laughs> Understandably, yeah. Yeah. it's called yeah. grit. But if you've yeah. done it before- <laughs> People have grit, people don't. That's but what you're but talking think about. about it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if yeah. you've done it before and you're familiar with it, it doesn't it doesn't affect you the same way. You know, you don't maybe, oh. it maybe doesn't get to you quite the same way because it's at least a little familiar. I'm almost the opposite. Like the first time is good. The second time, like my grit level goes down. Really? Because I know- you're afraid of it. Exactly. I'm like, yeah. this is going to be so much worse at the finish. It's it's like, really it's really interesting. It'd be once again another study idea. It'd be wonderful to be able to separate out like psychological like uh, or the effect of a person being yeah. afraid of what elevation is going to do to them versus what it physically does to yeah, them. They have, they have ways to and, they have uh, some pretty cruel studies. Yeah, methods sure. to figure out how to because there are plenty of people that I, I know that they've raced enough in elevation to have a lot of experience mm -hmm. and, uh, there are other people just like them, whatever else in terms of where they live, but sure. We're all individual and we all react differently to, to elevation, that sort of stuff. But there are a lot of people that I know, regardless of the physical side of things, I know that mentally they really kind of shoehorn themselves into a box with elevation. They're kind of like, I'm stuck in here and mm -hmm. I can't do well at elevation. And I wonder how much of it is once again, the psychological effect, like you said, some people, they go through it once and they're strong. Other people, it hits them, and then after that, they're afraid of going back into that. Yeah, it's I mean, just, same thing could be said yeah. with workouts. You do a particularly hard oh, yeah. workout, and it just crushes you, and you know you got to do it again or a harder version of it again. You're already mentally checked out. Builds to, up fear. To yeah. Jonathan's point, like uh, we have the opposite. I feel like I perform worse at elevation, but better at sea level, and you feel like you don't get the same benefit at sea level, but you get a and not the same less detriment yeah, yeah at uh, mm -hmm. elevation. And I wonder if there's anything psychological in that, or if it's physiological because I our wonder. Our power meters and performance, guess. we race so much together. Yeah. That, uh, do you notice at sea level, I'm like closer to you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You are like, it's uh, like if we were to move the same race, even though you couldn't do that, you would be much closer 
yeah. at sea level than if we were up at elevation. He drops me faster at elevation. That's pretty much it. But yeah. I don't know if that's something psychological with me or physiological. Yeah, and uh, that's the hard thing. We can't like separate and unwrap individually. It's really tough to, to do to that. To tease him. You know? Tease him in a, in a in an ideal world, we all at least can manage the the psychological component, but it's not just easy to manage. You can't just do that. That's 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 part of the whole entire experience of training. I'd like to know? think that I have more to gain at elevation, and you have more to gain at sea level. We're just both bad. Yeah, but we just need so, to be better. If we just believe just that, room, room, it'll happen. <laughs> that's There's, what we'll do. Yeah, I'll stick exactly. to it. That's what it is. <laughs> um, some product announcements before we go into Sam's question, which is the next one: uh, outside workouts. Yes. So okay. Uh, Outside workouts are now available on Wahoo head units. We had them on Garmin uh -huh. um, and you can do them. So it's, it's really cool. Um, also another announcement is Garmin has in their current beta, uh, you can create your own custom screen and almost like duplicate trainer road. So yeah. on the 1030, 830 and 530, you have like a little graph, you have <laughs> all the data that you need. Um, we're going to have some support articles out and a video that we'll push through the forum too. And we'll mention it on the podcast mm -hmm. when that comes out, That's but awesome. it's really cool. Um, you pretty much mimic trainer road on the road. Yeah. Um, One cool thing. Can I throw in on Wahoo really you quick? You can throw in as many cool <laughs> things as you want and take as much time as you want. Something unique with Wahoo um, is that you can, you can pause your workout very easily and then scroll through intervals. So you like, let's say, and this is why it's really helpful. Um, once again, like indoors is so nice because you never have to worry about this stuff, right? But if you're riding outside and you get to the point where you get stuck in traffic or stoplights or something like that, and you don't show up to the point where you need to do your intervals, like let's say it's a consistent pitch of road or something like that, mm. you can pause it and you can either go back in intervals or go forward in intervals. You mm. can move around really easily within the workout and then resume. That's when you like hit resume, it counts you down from three and then sends you right back into it. It's a it's a cool feature uh, that that's that's unique to them in this case. Yeah. So there's the Garmin and Wahoo handle this two different ways wahoo when you you can pause the workout but keep recording mm -hmm. so that's like it pauses the workout time and keep recording garmin um we have it set up so that if you're about to start a new interval you have to actually push the lap button to start that mm -hmm. so if you're going to do any kind of interval that um you've had like a, a good amount of rest before like you're doing a five minute interval 10 minute or even three minute interval you have to actually push the button and we've set it up that way because we want you to get to the right part of the road so that you are safe it's and all safe, that kind of yeah. stuff and you're on the train um, <clears throat> where we'll just walk you through on Garmin is if it's like, uh, like billots or something 30 on 30 off, yep. like you don't want to be pushing pause every time you just have to get to the set to a point where you can do it. Or I did Spanish needle outside, which was actually kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, once it gets to the set to start, you push the lap button and then it just walks you the whole way. Yeah, that so, brain fade you were talking about is real in those moments. So sure it's, it is, yeah. it's you know, nice it's, to not have to hit the button every time. Yeah. I, I, exactly. Which um, you don't you have, have to on Wahoo, Wahoo either. either. I'm just, just saying it's through. a different, like on Wahoo, you would pause until you get to the right spot and then you would push resume. Um, and on Garmin, it will automatically, it'll still record. You don't have to push pause and then you'd push this button to start. Yep. Um, by the way, when I did Spanish needle, I did it with Brandon and we did it on a hill climb mm -hmm. and I started way before him and he would just, Brandon's our 5.2 watt. Every time he hits it for 30, <laughs> just <laughs> zoom, close his, it. 15 his, seconds. His 30 15. seconds or his 15, 15 seconds would get him a lot further up They're the about hill, twice right? as far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it got really annoying. <laughs> yeah. I swear Brandon weighs less than he actually knows or something like that. I know he's like 85 pounds. It's <laughs> okay. So the other cool thing is that before you had to put the workouts on the calendar and then flip them over, mm -hmm. um, now, if you're on the workout screen on the website and in the desktop app, you can just push a button and will automatically push right to your uh, Garmin or Wahoo. So mm -hmm. this is nice because you're not always, it was at a, if you're looking for a workout today and it's not scheduled, which happens, mm -hmm. um, 
before you had to add it to your calendar and then flip it over. Now you just push one button and it goes to your Garmin or Wahoo automatically. Send it directly, yep. which is pretty cool. And this is coming to, uh, got a bunch of cool stuff coming out in the mobile app and this is going to be part of a bigger release on mobile. So it's basically see workout, send to your head unit. It's yep. that mm -hmm. easy. Yeah, I got to start writing outside. This is all it's news to me. Chad, it's winter. Read the Slack updates. <laughs> um, next, uh, Updated Mac and Windows apps, we released those a while ago. We yeah. have native Bluetooth on Windows. So you no longer need that blue giga dongle as long as you're on Windows 10. Mm -hmm. um, this is amazing. Oh, so this nice. is so much easier. <laughs> yeah. um, if you're on one of the older versions of Windows, you should get rid of it and get Windows 10 <laughs> yeah. because you are a Russian farm of something. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're using you for something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, Microsoft's going to sue me. That's Update your computer. Uh, also, on the desktop app, before we had a list of calendar, mm -hmm. now it's what everyone wants. It's a grid, just like the website. So yep. we've mimicked, it, mimicked the website. It's really cool. You got a grid. Super nice. When I say grid, it just looks like a regular calendar. Right. Yep. And then we've also released Cadence support for Kicker Core and Kicker 2018. So these are um, a firmware update that you do on your Kicker, and then now you get Cadence from that. So if you don't have a power meter, mm -hmm. you can now get Cadence from your Kicker as you work out. And it's pretty nice. clever how they do that, really. It just comes down to them like measuring like when kind of the strain yeah. and like how the strain's oscillating as it goes through. And, mm -hmm. and it's pretty, it's surprisingly accurate at their ability to predict cadence. Power tap was the first one say. to do it, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, doesn't every power meter do that now? Well, no. So power tap on the wheel did it because they didn't have cadence. Oh, on the wheel, yeah. But then other ones, they all had it. Yeah, um, and all they, power meters have accelerometers, and that's how they measure it. Well, not ex not necessarily. That's true. Actually, Sometimes yeah. it's magnet based, and yep. it's you got to get the revolution. So to get going too deep, but to get yeah. power, you need to have the the torque and then the revolution speed. Yeah. So um, when it's crankbank, it's cadence, and um, it was wheel based. Power tap did it with um, how fast the wheel is going, but uh -huh. then it would use it would look into it to look at the little oscillations that you're talking about yep. to see what of the cadence force. is. Yeah, and yeah. you can usually trick them if you're like super smooth to do something weird, but. If you're just pedaling normally, it works. Yeah, it's pretty clever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And other trainers, my, the RH Hammer 2 and 3 that we have yeah. does it too. Yep. Nice. And the final update too, if you're filtering through workouts and checking through there, we've also updated some of the filters so you can check out for duration and some stuff yeah, like that. Before so. it was like an hour to 90 minutes and it was really hard if you wanted to find 90 minutes yep. or an hour 15. Yep. So now we just have them broken out to an hour, an hour 15, 90 minutes. Um, and Much if there's easier. a 91 minute one, it falls into 90 minutes, just how you think it would be. Constantly improving. And thanks to everybody here at Trainer Road that works so hard to make that stuff happen. So, hey, team. yep, we're focused on constant improvement. It's a big, big, big deal. So Sam's question, uh, I'm going to summarize. He basically says, how do you guys, and this is answering like so many people's questions that have been submitting them right now for, for this very thing. Makes sense. Cause it's timely. How do you guys approach the off season? What do you recommend? What changes do you, uh, or, or do you recommend going between or making for going between seasons. So ton of off season questions absolutely makes sense. We've addressed this, you know, we address this every year, uh, and it definitely bears mentioning again, since mm -hmm. we're already at that time. Uh, so Chad, what's the main priority that you would say in terms of an off season break, or would you advocate a break? Absolutely. Um, it, it's a pretty even split between physical, physical and physiological reset. I mean, from on the physiological side, you, there's potential muscle damage. There's definitely a hormonal reset, um, on the, on the psychological side, <clears throat> just getting away from the, the day-to-day -day obligation of working out once, twice, if you're, if you're a two a day sort of writer, um, and then just the stress of the workouts themselves. I mean, e even a, a 60 minute butter burner 
done on tired legs is a pretty big, and I know we throw cognitive load around quite a lot yeah. these days, but it's a, it's a big mental stress. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And I, and I find that it, that varies for certain people. For certain people, they don't need that break. And I also like for me, for example, right now, I don't need that break because I haven't been able to train consistently in a long time. Yeah, now. it depends you know, how far mm -hmm. you push yourself. Yeah. So there's so there's one side of don't feel <laughs> don't feel obligated that you need to take time off if you don't feel like you need it. No. Yeah. But at the same time, it kind of is tricky. Like we have to make sure that we have a good fix on how we actually feel because there are a lot of people that may be really consistent mm -hmm. training themselves. And we'll get into this later with another question, but kind of training themselves into a whole Yeah, you got to be honest with yourself. Yep. Yeah. Some of y'all have had July, August, and September as off season. Yeah. And you're like, now I need off season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you look at it, you're doing one to two rides a week, like right. not a lot of stress. But I mean, honestly too, though, maybe one to two rides was your consistent training yeah. and with some yeah. people's life and stuff that you might still need an off season or switch it up. Yeah. Chad, this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> During the off season, how much Popeye's chicken should I eat? <laughs> <laughs> Nate's asking for him. <laughs> However much you want to. I, I, Honestly, I can't get behind it because it's just... <laughs> no, okay. Here's this. How much during the... Uh, what, what, the bigger I'm, I'm question all about is, indulgence, if how that's much what you're in, asking. Yes. It, during indulgence during off-season, how much should I do? Because you can do too much. Absolutely can. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I basically limit it to a 1% to 2% body gain. So if I know what my ideal race weight is, I, I won't... I'll try not to let myself get more than 2% away from that. <laughs> I love that. Because yeah. coming back from farther than 2% is it's really discouraging. And, and it really just, just gums up the works in the early stages where you need motivation most mm -hmm. the other thing i that i see happens with me as a naturally like um software engineer body type is that if i stop <laughs> very desirable <laughs> <laughs> the ladies love me um, <laughs> i've never heard sorry i've never heard the body type the software engineer body that, type defined on those little dating profiles you do the roll down <laughs> yeah. um, That's not all funny. software engineers are like this but the classic silicon valley like like my body wants to be skinny and not do anything like right. muscle wise, skinny right. fat, right. Like my like body wants to be skinny fat. Um, that what I find is if I don't work out, I will lose muscle mass and then gain fat and the body will like be the same kind of weight, which gets dangerous, uh, yeah. right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, we should be paying attention to body composition. So if yeah. you have access to, mm -hmm. I mean, even a cheap $30 scale can give you some idea of exactly. whether or not your composition shifting. That's yeah. So looking at that <laughs> is like very important. And then yeah. I've done it on DEXA and man, it just, it hurts. It's deflating, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. The one thing that I think is, so if you're looking to, and, and I mean, in my mind, you should always be looking toward productivity with your off season. And I don't mean productivity in terms of always making sure that you're getting ahead for training, but it might just be productivity. Like we said, like a psychological reset sure. in some way, like it should be your off season. You should always, we should always be improving in life in one direction or another. And, and your off season, hopefully that prepares you to go into the next season. Yeah, better. The, the, the objective is still to get faster next season. And there are a lot of things you can do to, totally. to, to a lot of things you can put in place to set the stage for that. We get so many questions on strength training. Sorry, Nate. Um, no, go ahead. We, um, we get so many uh, questions on strength training and I feel like this is, it's always really hard if you're like <clears throat> mid season in a build phase or a specialty phase, and then you you know, now you're going to start strength training. And I'm not saying that that's a bad time necessarily to start it because if you're it's doing no strength, time. yeah, if you're doing no strength training, I still think it's really important just for overall health mm -hmm. to, to, to be doing that. It's never a bad time for it, mm -hmm. but it's so easy or relatively easy to start off in the off season with it and kind of establish a routine, mm -hmm. get yourself used to the movements when uh, perhaps the training isn't as critical for your goal race. Yeah. And then it can, then you can modify it. There's never a bad time to start. It doesn't mean you have to dive headlong into a really intense training 
training routine, you can kind of start to weave things in. Even if it's just, I'm going to kick off my, I'm, I'm in the middle of a race uh, taper and I'm going to start strength training. That may sound like an idiotic thing to do, but it can be planks. I mean, maybe that's the one thing, maybe that's mm -hmm. what gets the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. So you can, can start at any time. It's a question of how you start it. And we have Chad's strength training recommendations. Yes, we do. Um, define them, Jonathan. We need a URL. It's probably going to happen in Kona, but not sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if basically, if you go to forum.trainerroad.com and you look for that or on the blog, you'll be able to find what Chad's they are right there. Chad's strength training recommendations. Yep, yeah, just look just for- Just Google that. I bet yeah, you'll find Yeah, coach it. Chad's strength training and you'll find it. Um, Tucker will also be putting it into forum.trainerroad.com. Oh, yeah. He Googled on, it and it came up. <laughs> on so, episode 223. There we go. What I want to yep. do too is make a little, someone else did it, but I want to put it on trainerroad.com. Yep. Um, I want to, I shouldn't say the URL yet because yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be debated. Don't say it yet. Um, <laughs> But I want to do it where we, you put in the numbers and you get it, but uh, you get you put the numbers in and we do all the math for you. Yeah. yeah. But my point on this is that with strength training, to your point too, it's uh, it's from like going from one strength level to the next strength level that is stressful. Once you get to it, it's not as stressful. Mm -hmm. So during this time when it's kind of, you can even do it when you're not cycling, mm -hmm. get to that level one or level two level of strength, and then you can just maintain just that. Standard holding pattern. Exactly. And then yeah. you're not as... Like strength training wipes me out. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. Makes me so tired. Oh, yeah. It can be. Mm -hmm. It can be hugely stressful and or a lot of strain. And for those that have listened to previous episodes of the podcast, they'll know this. But the strength training recommendations that we're talking about are benchmarks of strength. Uh, not we're not talking about exercises no, that you and should they're do. And endurance athletes too. So any yes. strength athlete would look at that and probably mock us. But it's. Uh, yeah, they're, they're just benchmarks. Basically like the question that it answers is how many pull-ups should I be able to do as a cyclist or how many X, what should I be able to do? Because one thing as I see it, uh, yeah, yes. as Chad sees it yes. and, and the, uh, because the one thing is with a lot of us type a athletes that are listening to this, we like, we go and we go up to the chin up bar. And if you're a cyclist, if you're a triathlete, you probably do, do chin ups all day and you look amazing and chiseled, whatever else, but us cyclists, you know, we're like T-Rexes. So when we get on there, we don't know when we should stop. Not big muscles. Yeah. Over <laughs> Not, not coach chat. No, no. Heavens no. Um, but, but for, for us, we don't know where we should be or where we should stop. We don't know what's normal yeah. because if you like pick up men's fitness, it's going to tell you something for a very different sort of athlete. Never pick what, up when to fitness. maintain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When's enough, uh, when, when enough is enough and where you should yeah. coast and maintain there, yeah. not coast, just yeah. pedal. Um, so, and, but with that, uh, is there anything else that you guys would say is important to, to do with the off season? Yeah, I don't want a lot of emails, so I just got to say, uh, here at Trainer Road, the software body, the, the probably the person with the biggest muscles and lowest body fat is a software it's engineer. A software engineer, yeah. He looks crazy. We we're just joking today that people accuse him of steroids. Yeah, uh, actually, when he was in Mexico at one point, he was he was called Captain America. Stupid. Yeah, but, but in, and, and in uh, Spanish, so. what yes. was it? Yeah, yeah Capitan Americano. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's what all they the, liked him the, a lot. the Mexicans were saying to him. So. Big, strong yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's not all software engineers. I'm just yeah. One, one thing I would say is the habit of consistency. Mm -hmm. You can wrap up that habit of like diligence and consistency, but just kind of package it slightly differently. Like, like it, cause if you lose that, it's kind of hard sometimes to get back just on that horse of, of being consistent when diligent with something. Yeah. And if it can rearrange your schedule unfavorably, so you can end mm -hmm. up with <clears throat> all the time that you used to dedicate to getting on the bike in the morning or in the afternoon or the evening or whatever it is, get siphoned off into some other activity. And then that activity becomes the new norm. And now mm -hmm. you have to figure out how to weave your workout schedule back into your new schedule. And mm -hmm. it's, it just gets too tricky. So leave that time as it is, spend it in another way that is easily uh, swappable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other thing is be okay. I've, I'm experiencing this right now. I just did the Ram test and my FTP is 323. 
it went from like 340 or 345 down to that mm -hmm. and my weight went up too mm -hmm. which is kind of sad especially as we go into <laughs> it's Kona. Good in time for Kona. <laughs> yeah right just in time yeah. um but we, i had an off season a lot of travel and i got sick um mm -hmm. to be okay with that but you can also use our season function Mm -hmm. to because really important is our year-over-year -year comparison so the season function i can see as i do these workouts right. how do i compare to two weeks into my off season last year and if that's up five ten watts i'm super happy instead right? of just looking at october to october yeah or like mm -hmm. peak fitness to today <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah which is sure. really what almost always happens with prs that's why we designed the whole pr thing that doesn't just compare you to your peak fitness but to your current progress yeah exactly you know? compared to other seasons so yeah, uh, yeah. use that per it's on the website uh seasons it's under personal records you can create seasons and then you can compare and you yeah. click a little button it's called season match so you can see that like as I'm walking through here, how are my workouts doing compared to this time last year? Yeah, or that this time in that in that previous season. Yeah, they couldn't be the yeah, it could be previous season, even earlier in the year. Yep, I make seasons for my off season. I know that sounds silly here, but um, it's awesome. Uh, basically, I separate the off season time. Oh sure. And I separate it all, so then I can I can box things and then have fair comparisons because that's a really important thing for a lot of us. So, you know, we'll we'll get a complex real quick if we and a lot of people get really discouraged if we fall into that. So it's a really good way to <laughs> separate that and to. Give you a fair comparison complex avoided you could even compare your off seasons yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah I have, it's helpful well i joke about popeyes i really don't i haven't had popeyes in two years or something <laughs> but uh another thing that that has happened to me which i have broken and i'll tell you how i broke it mm. is i start to eat bad food and man that first time you feel awful but then you start to crave it more often <laughs> and you eat more and more does yeah. anyone else does happen to anyone else oh yeah it ha yeah. happens all the time not yeah. chad chad's yeah. no i mean I, I i eat it and then i feel terrible and i it's that's it. Oh, right. I feel terrible each time. <laughs> but I my my Just draws him in tractor beam. <laughs> but the cravings happen like before I understand that. Yeah. Like McDonald's breakfast would never eat it. Yeah. And then I have a tour tour of Italy and <laughs> oh, yeah. some other stuff. That's the beauty of it. I mean that's some French fries. It's, it's engineered to do that very thing. I know. You so, eat it and in the moment you're like, I would I can't believe I'm doing this to myself. And then three hours later you're like, I can't wait to do that. Oh yeah. To myself hooks your again. body, hooks your brain. So I did that for like three weeks and that does not help. Um <laughs> I've <laughs> so much <laughs> so I've, I've canceled and what i did is i started reading the endurance diet again every uh -huh. night before i go to sleep motivates i just love that book and it's just all if you know it's just a pretty much eat a bunch of whole foods mm -hmm. a variety of them eat carb centric and eat enough and instead of having fried foods i'm eating whole foods no fried yeah. foods ever anyone well mm -hmm. even he says you may say never but He's like, if you, if you, you can have a little bits of indulgences all the time, always, but no, if you I, don't have I, yeah. any, but it's, I just, you, I can't you have these binges as anything more than just further oxidative stress for my cells to yeah. try to handle. I know it's just hard. Like yeah. with the world we live in to like, never, ever. It and is Chad, until if you, have you decide kids, not to. They have French fries. <laughs> I've like been take around one French, French fries. fries. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm telling you, you can resist it. It's yeah. called abstinence. I mean, you yeah. just, you but just choose. You? I absolutely do. I can't remember the last time I had a fried piece of food. Yeah. Uh, Leadville. <laughs> What'd I have? Fried nachos. Fried nachos. <laughs> I don't even remember this. Okay. <laughs> they were fried? Yeah. Nachos yeah. are fried. Yeah. I mean, chips are fried. Yeah. Oh, chips. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Chips. <laughs> See? Yep. We all got our things. The point is uh, absolute abstinence. Yes. While it is the ideal way, it can also be kind of psychologically difficult to manage and, and, and damning really is like what he talks about it, in that book. It sets you up for binges. Yeah, it does. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're solid like Chad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do no make our own tortillas now. Yeah. I mean, cut tortillas and bake them. 
Nice. So, I mean, there, every nice effort level. is being made to sure. avoid, in particular, fried foods, amongst others. Yeah. I think tortillas are normally fried. They're just, they're just cooked tortillas, on Tortillas, no. But yeah. when you fry those tortilla chips. Oh, you're baking tortilla chips. Baking them. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, it's pretty good. Flour chips. Okay, Matt's question. Uh, actually, first, we need to congratulate you, Nate. You got yep. your tattoo upgrade. I'm now tattoo. It's <clears throat> a big deal. We're going to have like a, a retrospective on this process because you really? got it in one year. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do it right now. You went five <laughs> to two. <laughs> uh, you went five to two in a year. I can't wait to never place in a race again. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's there are memes about Hope that. Like once, once yeah. you go to Cat One, like P One Two, like once you move to Cat Two, it's like congratulations. You're never going to place. Never, well never again. see the podium again. <laughs> yeah. And when I went from five to two in yeah. a year, like. I submitted my upgrade in January for a four. Yeah. So that's, I didn't so, actually do the five races in the year, but the five races don't even matter. Close enough. Yeah, close, close enough. enough. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to ask you just a few basic questions. Um, what did you feel like you did really well throughout this process? I raced a lot yeah. and I did a lot of volume, yes. like a lot of volume. I was very consistent all year. I didn't get sick until uh, Eurobike yes. all year so round. You stayed healthy too. Yeah. Yep. So it's a big deal. Huge deal. And Which I think a lot of disrupt that. your continuity. Yeah. Yeah, it was the sinus rinses that I've talked about before. Um, I think I had a and your dietary changes, a low grade inf infection for like a long time, years. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I always had yellow mucus, and I did this rinse. Now I always have clear mucus. Yeah. I thought that yellow mucus was just the way to go. Yeah. Um, At the same time, you changed your diet, or were the dietary changes already in place? You know, I did a lot of things at once, but I mean, uh, my diet hasn't. No, because I, I changed my diet like three years ago, and you can yeah. see my volume over years uh, mm -hmm. in my, increase. Um, and for you, what is high volume? What have you ratcheted up to? Oh, mm, eight, nine, ten hours per week. Some mm -hmm. weeks, a little more than that. Mm -hmm. But most of my indoor, and that's with structured workouts, right? Not mm -hmm. just on the road. Sure. Lots of uh, lots of intervals, lots of ninety-minute workouts, and then later in this year, I was bumping them up to two-hour workouts or even more, mm -hmm. um, ex using the extend uh, ride feature. So I either do like two hours of sweet spot or something, or I do. Uh, an hour or 90 minutes of intervals and then extend that at the on end. some endurance work and yep. in terms of what enabled you <clears throat> to upgrade as you did what do you think was the biggest improvement what i'm getting at that is like it could be a specific thing in terms of like i raised my sustainable power or my repeatability or it could be my race tactics yeah. or my race prep whatever yeah. it is uh two three things um one having a high ftp on flat races mm. is a oh man it's yeah. good yeah. especially mm -hmm. 340 up here is more like 355, 360 down at sea level. Yeah. Um, There's not a lot of people that are at that threshold. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it's rare. It's air, a differentiator you know? for sure. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, conserving energy in the pack and using it when I needed to. Mm -hmm. And then the race videos, almost every single race that I did is on YouTube in a yeah. race analysis series. I've got a, we've got a few Tucker to do still. Yeah. Um, uh, Even today, we're going to be uh, prepping some that'll be coming up soon. Cool. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to then like Pete helped me a lot with tactics in that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that helped. And then I, I think on the longer road races too, that I did well in, I feel like I ate more than everyone. And then I was like people that would beat me in shorter races on the longer races, they would just fade away mm -hmm. and cramp. Yeah. And that's the best feeling when you're scared of somebody mm -hmm. and then they start cramping. Chaz you're Halbert. Superman all of a sudden. I'm looking at you. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, you're like, 
Yeah. The whole thing's different now. Like, I can, <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah. um, Matthew Vanderpool when he dropped out of Worlds. I, know. I bet that group was like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> every one of their souls booed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, this is possible. But before they're like, how am I going to get second? Right. I think everybody, when you saw him in that group, it was like everyone was like, all right, so where are we going to face? Gonna where, where are we going to finish behind this guy? Right. And yeah. then, yeah, that happened. Cool. It's a bit of a um, shock. The hard parts, so I raced a lot and racing a lot helps. And I did win some races, but getting some second and thirds. One thing that's like really hard is doing like two to three races in a row mm -hmm. because I was racing lots of categories. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like the harder categories are always later too, it seems like. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, a Golden State, there was, I think I did like six, seven races over the weekend. <laughs> they got worse and worse. And I was in, but <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but for volume, it's good, right? So if you look yeah. at my overall trajectory, it's good. But what the problem that I did is I would race the first race thinking about the other five races. Yeah, yeah instead of just going all in on it. Except, yeah, instead of going all in, get the points for that one, and then saying, oh, who, you know, that's a, whatever happens that's after that. That's a big cross-section of experience, though. I mean, you get to race fresh, you get to race mildly fatigued, heavily mm -hmm. fatigued. Different strategies need to be employed under different circumstances. That's a lot of learning potential. Yeah. And racing frustrated. So <laughs> when you when you do something silly in the first race uh, and then yeah. you try to do the opposite in the Catches second race. You in the next five races. Yep. But then you do the, the opposite Six. thing you do is also silly. <laughs> you go way too far. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're like, oh, I should have been more aggressive. And then you get too aggressive. Yeah. Uh, that oh, those are not the, not good. Well, that's that, that's that like the road the... racer's existence right there. But yeah. but basically what I've seen, what I think I see in NorCal racing, racing against people who are stronger than me or can mm -hmm. beat me, is that I put out less power. Um, I do less work than them until it really matters. I see so many people do these like flyers or attacks, people with bigger FTPs than me yeah. that yeah. I like, why are you doing it so early? There's no one with you. Why are you going so hard? Like, yeah. you're not gonna be able to take us all for the whole time. You, you, ha you also have, and, and for the, I mean, I'm sure people have picked up on this on the podcast, but you have a very pragmatic way of viewing everything and you're very like procedural and there's like uh, it's, it's all, it's, it's almost like binary. You're just like, this is a bad decision. This is pragmatic a good decision. My wife word. calls me black or white. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and from like the software engineering side, you know, all, it all makes sense, but very logical. Th yeah. And that is unique because, uh, road racing especially in a pack environment is so heightening in terms of like emotionally speaking. And, and a lot of people make very irrational decisions yeah. and we don't necessarily all. And sometimes we have the fitness to cloud those and we mm. start to think that they're a good idea, but you stay very rooted. That's, this is me complimenting you in a very long way, Nate, but you stay very rooted in like pragmatism where you're just like this. No, this is, this is the principle here is this. And so as a result, this is better. This is good. Yeah. And I feel like that's why when you see a person take a flyer like that, you're just like, no, like, like, uh, plug in the ones and zeros and this is wrong. You yeah. Know? It, it served you well to this point. I question how well that approach is going to work going forward. I mean, there's still some of it needs to be carried Ooh. over, but I think you're <laughs> going to have to race a little more emotionally, I take love, more chances. I love make when he more does mistakes. This. That's it. Yeah. It's like so motivating, Nate right? Nate loves challenges. I'm going to have a challenges. 480 watt FTP. <laughs> do it. Do it. Yeah. The, no, that won't happen. The reason you're saying that though, is because you can play off of those emotions, right? Like of other people. You have certain and... luxuries in the lower categories you're not going to have in the upper categories. Opposite, I think. Oh. I'm going to explain two things and I'll go back to that. Yeah. <clears throat> One other thing that happens that I see a lot in lower category racing is the idea that everyone's like, you got to be the first five riders and mm -hmm. you got to like stick that wheel. Um, I wish the land park one, the first cat three race that I won, mm -hmm. I was just floating. Like you can surf wheels and especially I've talked about this before, but 
if it's strung out and it's a race with lots of technical, yes, you got to be up front. You don't want to crash. Mm -hmm. When it's a wide road and it fans back and forth, there's these accelerations that happen. And some people accelerate so hard to stay inches away from that wheel. Yeah. It's hard mentally. It's hard physically. Where It's a ton of work for little gain. Exactly. I'll float back four wheels and then it will fan out and then I'll roll up 10 wheels mm -hmm. and then I'll just do that. And I'm not really doing much work at all. I'm, mm -hmm. you know. Speak, spiking up to 400 watts these other people are spiking up to eight nine one thousand watts yeah um sure but of course and like you said in lower categories it's, um, it's definitely prevalent this happens in masters one two for, three racing with sure. world champs in it but uh, i would say that it's more prevalent for sure in the lower categories to, to see that yeah uh look at pete's races same thing happens too mm -hmm. in his uh it, it depends on some courses it is pinned yes and if you're that's not what in the I'm front, getting at yeah, like uh, San Rafael, if you're not in the front, like you're never, it's really hard to move up. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, this is very, so I think this is why this has come out is it's very course dependent mm -hmm. and people have done poorly in races that you have to be in the front and it's really hard to move up. Mm -hmm. And if you drop a wheel, you're gone for good. Uh, and then they, they put that on all races and people think I have to do that all the time, which you don't. Yeah. Is there one thing that you would have done differently going through this whole thing? Do you wish you didn't do something? There are some races that I wish I would have done, especially some rain races where there's like 11 people mm -hmm. and 11's like a magic number for getting more points <laughs> Yeah, um, that were flat. And I, for upgrade points, by the way, you can go to blog.trainerroad.com and we have a whole article on USAC upgrade points. I think I looked at that one like over a hundred times. It's a <laughs> yeah. good article, Jonathan. Yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, I probably would have trained my sprint outside more. Mm -hmm. um, we did that sprint training thing later on. I dropped my chain <laughs> and I'm just scared to death of training. <laughs> yeah. Of sprinting. Yeah. Big yeah. gun shy. No, no. I can sprint in a race and I'm not scared. Well, sprint training, I should say. Sprint training. Because yeah. you just said training and I know that you're not afraid of training. So oh, yeah. you train a lot. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I could have upgraded a lot faster. I lost a lot of races by a wheel or half a bike length. So let me ask you what's on, what's on tap for 2020. Now that you're a cat too. You had another thing though. You're Oh, the upper oh. category. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is part of it. I think mm. what I'm saying is you're going to have to race a bit more on instinct, less on, less on this mm. pragmatic approach. Mm -hmm. That's the point I'm trying to convey. It's Got all, it. Yeah. Yeah. My instinct is pragmatic. <laughs> <laughs> no wait, So this is what happens in Northern California racing is that, uh, at the beginning of the year, the first cat three race, no one cares about me. Mm -hmm. They're all looking at Jonathan. <laughs> That's great. That's the best way to race. Uh, <laughs> for him. It is. No, no, yeah. it's yeah, for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. you can make more moves. People let you go. A lot of the upper category races are people letting people go or you get in the right mix. Yeah. Um, as the year went on, I got to be more marked and people would follow my wheels. It got a lot harder. Mm -hmm. I'm racing, uh, masters 35 plus one, two, three. Mm -hmm. Um, people don't mark me. There's so many other people. There's sure. national champs. Yeah. Um, my last race, I broke away from the field and I, I gave up too early. I got second and Josh Carl, Carlin, Carling, Carling, the great sprinter. He yeah. beat me at the end and I pretty much gave him a one lap lead out, but <laughs> not being marked like that. <laughs> How um, kind. That's a move that wouldn't have worked in like a cat three race for me, but yeah. it does work in a one, two, three. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that I go to the, the one, two, the P one, two race, at least for a little bit mm -hmm. that I can take advantage where no one cares about me. You'll be an unknown. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and they are stronger than me. So like why cover me? Yeah, uh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So yeah. what my idea now is for 2020, I am getting older. I'm 37. 
I'd really like. You don't, to... you don't say you're getting older, huh? <laughs> Sorry, just <Okay. laughs> just kind of funny. Like, yeah, yeah I know we're, we're getting older. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm older in comparison to P12 racers. Sure. And the old, older I get, like if I was 27, I probably have plenty of time to get a Cat One upgrade. Yeah. I want to get a Cat One upgrade because um, it's just it's like qualifying for Kona. Mm-hmm. It's like a just a checkbox an achievement to do. Yeah. It doesn't really change my life at all. Yeah. Um, question is should i focus on cape epic and mountain biking or try to get the the upgrade points um i'm going to try to do the road race points we've talked about it we think cape epic is not technical and i'll have a relatively speaking yes i'll have a better in time if i just get a high ftp (laughs) so my strategy is um pete thinks i should just do some of these crits i can get lucky in a crit especially if you get in a breakaway all the teams are represented Mm -hmm. you know you got to beat five people and maybe fair amount of dudes who've gotten Cat one upgrades it. I'm not sure they really earned it, but they, you know. yeah, you just you got to get in the right mix. So that's it's more it's even more strategy I think in P one two is if all the big teams are represented in breakaway and you're there, and especially then if you if you get fourth, you still get some points, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also <laughs> going to go after cat two races. So uh, there, a uh, uh, cat one two three or a P one two stage race, I'm going to get slaughtered. Sure, like <laughs> oh yeah, slaughtered. Yeah, um, yeah. cat two only. With a flat time trial that's time based, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I can get top five, well. get some that was, points. That's my approach, and that's what Brandon did, and I don't think it worked for either of us very well. What Brandon need? Mm-hmm. He did two races and got his upgrade. Yeah, yeah, it works pretty well. Yeah, yeah, but in terms of no, but he had the same complaints I had that, that there's no cohesion. There's just a bunch of free agents. Everybody oh, yeah. wants to that happens. Cat too. Yeah. Yeah. That happened, mm-hmm. but still, he. I mean, he didn't have a team too, but yeah. he was just so fast. He did time trials that were uphill, yeah. so he was either first or second in the GC. Yeah, but, the right courses. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So uh, you need 35 points to upgrade to Cat 1. Mm-hmm. 10 of those points can be done at a local race series or Masters Racing. Some people might say, why aren't you just doing Masters Racing? I am going to save those 10 points to try to get them all in uh, Reno Racing. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking this is going to take me two years yeah. at least to get to Cat 1, yeah. hopefully, knock on wood. Uh, so get those 10 points in Reno. And then the other uh, 25 in Cat 2 races, I might be flying around the country, cherry pick a Cat 2 race <laughs> that is uh, maybe not in NorCal. Because NorCal, I don't know. I think it's hard. Yeah. You see a lot of rainbow jerseys in your or stripes <laughs> yeah. in your field. A lot of stripes on sleeves. Yeah, I know. That's for which sure. is uh, hard. So basically, I'm going to do stage races and crits. And crits. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Matt's question. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast. Five stars all around. I think I've listened to every episode and wanted to share the good news about the often discussed topic of low versus high volume training. Long story shortened a bit. I had a coach from November 2018 through May 2019 and went on a prescribed low volume 140.6 plan by him, even though I only planned to race in 70.3s. I ended up deciding to do the low volume base build and specialty trainer road 70.3 plan starting in June 2019 and just raced Augusta 70.3 to a personal best all while feeling great during and after the race. Nice job. Way to go. PB time. Uh, so says, my question is this looking at the rest of 2019 and into 2020, will I continue to see results? If I stay on the low volume 70.3 plan while increasing my FTP at each ramp test, or will I see a flattening in performance on the run and swim? Thanks for all your great information and keep up the great work. Thank you. And if you don't mind, Chad, I just want to rephrase this kind of before you jump in on this, but this is the, basically what we're getting at here, uh, for any sort of person listening to this cyclist, mountain biker, cross racer, whatever it is, triathlete is the question, the core question is, can I get faster if I do the same training plans? And in this case, the context that we're adding on is just making sure that I reassess my FTP and mm-hmm. that 
thusly the workouts are getting tougher as I get stronger. Yeah. So theoretically, yeah, if you're, you can do the same plan over and over and over again, if every time you're doing it with a higher FTP. Mm -hmm. So if you come into it with higher fitness and then elevate that fitness and then restart it with even higher fitness. Sure. Yes. That, I mean, that could go on theoretically forever, mm -hmm. but at some point that low volume plan is not going to yield FTP improvement. I would say any volume plan. Any volume plan. Yeah. yeah. Anything, anything that your body eventually habituates to, to, to the point where it's not serving as further stimulus, you're not going to get faster. Yeah. We've all felt that too. Right. Like, I mean, when I first started cycling, I remember like, uh, for, I had no clue what I was doing and I was just like, if I can make it to the top of this climb without <clears throat> taking a break. Right. And then at some point that just became not difficult and the same, and it's not as if we've reached some barrier and that stops. But I feel like a lot of us quit paying attention to that because that's, the, that's one factor. the failure point isn't as prevalent in our minds, right? Um, and also in bike racing, you don't often win. So we don't see that as like an indication of the fact that we need more. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an easy trap to fall into. It, and this is actually kind of an opportunity for me to address something that I said a couple of weeks back where I talked about, I'm really just concerned most of the time with athletes hitting their intervals 90%. 90% works. In this case, not so much. And when, as you ascend the ranks, as you start pushing up into higher and higher waters, as you start pushing 4.5, 4.8, whatever, watts per kg, you have to get tighter and tighter with those margins. So whereas 90% used to be acceptable, now it's 92, now it's 95, now it's 99. You really have to nail those workouts if you're going to be on the same volume plan for a long period of time and you still are chasing improvement. You're going to have to do something better in order to make the same thing continue to work. So- same volume plan, low volume, do it for two or three years, keep improving. Then someone plateaus. What do they, this is easy question, but what do they do after that? They mm -hmm. got to change something and that's it. I mean, they got to change something and typically mm -hmm. it's, typically it's volume. I mean, we have to add more volume mm -hmm. and we've talked before about how you can continue to add intensity, but even if you're working within the confines of say a 90 minute, uh, high intensity, some sort of high intensity interval workout, you can only do so much within 90 minutes. There has right. to be some downtime. You can only pack in so much, so many two minute repeats into even a 90 minute effort. And, and even then you can only pack in so many of those period. Your body can only handle so many. Yep. So mm -hmm. you can probably cram more into a 90 minute workout than your legs can actually fulfill. So I'm going to say this again. So you can, <clears throat> you can, uh, you have to increase volume. And at first you're probably, especially if you go to mid and high volume, you're increasing intensity with your volume. But then there's a point where everybody can't take anything more yeah. and you're increasing then usually aerobic. Mm -hmm. Um, where that switch off point is going to be probably a little bit different from everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe you do mid volume and that's enough intensity and you're just adding aerobic rides to it. Yeah. Maybe you can high, high, do high volume mm -hmm. and then add aerobic, but you're probably really, 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 really fast. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, going from Seriously. a low volume, he's talking a tri plan, but they, they scale pretty much like the road plans too. Um, there aren't huge jumps between mid to, or low to mid to high, but they do bring with them improvement pretty consistently. So it's mm -hmm. not to say you have to completely change everything. If you were doing eight hours, now you got to do 14. Jumping from eight hours to 10 hours can make a substantial impact. That's hard to do too. It's eight really to 10 hard. Is hard. Yeah. It's really oh, hard. It's more than a 20% increase. Yeah. yeah. Or, or let's just say six to eight. Mm -hmm. I mean, that can be the difference for an entire season. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've, and now we've mentioned this before, but like, you know, we're talking about almost purely structured work too, in this case, and we're talking about those sort of that, that sort of time that you're putting in. So, yeah. uh, just for a point of context for people, I'm going <clears> to <throat> kind of run off of, uh, of the list that we have here, but I can imagine somebody listening to this and being like, okay, well, like my lifestyle, my job, family, everything else simply only allows me 
the time that I'm currently putting in. So how do I get more out of it? And here's just like one bit of advice that I usually have in that regard is that <clears throat> many times if you have a lifestyle that's like you're just squeezing in your training, probably <clears throat> you all have a lot of room to improve on the recovery side and you probably. might even get more out of your current training that you're doing. Like you might not have to change a whole lot in terms of what you're doing yeah, exactly on right. the bike, but off the bike, if you just recover better with better food, uh, better sleep quality or amount, uh, incorporating things that might in allow you to recover in another way yeah, in your that, lifestyle. And that's why I say you have to change something. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have to train, change your training. It can mean you change some other aspect. Maybe you're only sleeping six hours a night. Well, make sure you're sleeping eight because that'll make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, maybe you just changed jobs. Maybe you just moved. Maybe you didn't realize that even though I'm doing this, this same plan <clears throat> a third time over, I'm still seeing improvement because probably something else changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have to change something. But if, you know, all other things being equal, same plan, no longer yielding improvement, probably going to have to change the volume. This is off the top of my head. But <laughs> it's a wild west right now. <laughs> if, let's say, time's trapped, yep. you're on a plan, low volume. I cannot increase any volume, right? Mm -hmm. I would think that I would probably focus then more on, like, dietary and, like, fat adaption things. Like, because if mm -hmm. I've, worked, I've talked about this before of, like, you want to increase your FTP, um, and then kind of get that, like burn more fat as you're working out, but I would do more fasted rides and mm -hmm. see how much more I could that's do. A, that's it, a change that, yeah, exa that's a, exactly. That's additional, uh, stimulus on your system mm -hmm. without increasing time. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, all other things being equal, but yeah. all things not being equal, there are a lot of different things you can change. And yeah. it's particularly apt in this case, when we're talking about, you know, full distance triathlon, some, some, you know, long course stuff, that's like a, where you're talking about the fat. Well, yeah, and it could be the composition of your training too. If, totally. if all you ever do is sweet spot and now you start doing VO two max, there's a change and that's a pretty substantial one. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, um, if you getting to this, if, uh, if a person's stuck kind of against like something like we're talking about this, you can also change is, things up. Yeah. This like, is just a time constraint. We're not talking about repeating the same plan. Obviously we're talking mm -hmm. about doing different workouts within the same framework. Yeah. You know, too, before I would do diet to those type of fat adaption changes, I would try to optimize body composition. So right. you, you, you have, it doesn't even have to be about, be about fat adaptation. It can be about simply improving your aerobic capacity, your fat metabolizing capacity. I'm mm -hmm. saying if you only have four hours per week to train, why not try to get your body fat lower? Just eat less to get mm -hmm. your body up. Cause Another if we all change, yeah. probably have a couple pounds to lose. Sure. So not, yeah. not, not you, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you pointed to the camera and everybody listen to this. Uh, you're fine. You're yeah, great. You're fine, you look but, wonderful. Uh, yeah. Everyone here at the table <laughs> can all lose a couple, uh, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Always, that's another yeah. way. That's another way of training. And I've done that before when I, uh, when I travel, yeah. cause I'm like, my training is going to be salads and veggies and yeah. no hamburgers and French fries. Yeah. Yeah. Can we go into Dan's question? Uh, it's about seated and standing or seated versus standing climbing. We've talked about this before. We're going to take kind of like a unique <coughs> angle on this to a certain degree, but Dan pitches a unique one. So, uh, he says, I started cycling three years ago and I've always considered myself more engineered towards longer climbs and seated efforts, but comparatively weak at sprinting and anaerobic end of things. When tackling long climbs, I would usually spend about 90% of the time in the saddle, tapping out a rhythm safe in the knowledge that this is the, and he says in quotes, most efficient way to go about it. This year, however, everything seems to have changed. After joining the Navy in September of 2018, I was forced to spend over three months off the bike as I went through officer training and wasn't able to return to a regular training regime until April of 2019. 
To make up for this layoff of the off the bike, Wilston Naval College, I took to running to maintain as much fitness as possible, and alongside this, obviously had to complete the military fitness aspects. I took to running quite naturally and have maintained it fairly consistently in my training schedule this year. On returning to the mountains this summer, I've noticed that I much prefer to climb out of the saddle compared to before, now spending about 50% in and 50% out of the saddle when I'm going up a climb. More worrying, though, is that my power out of the saddle is always higher than that in the saddle for the same rate of perceived exertion. As a test, I spent 10 minutes out of the saddle on a climb, climbing at 330 watts at an RPE that resembled high-tempo sweet spot from my training history. With my current fitness level, I'm sure that maintaining that power for the same period while seated would push me to absolute exhaustion. And he's talking about a 10-minute duration here, uh, just to recap that. So what is the reason for this change? Is it because of running, maybe a bike fit issue, more strength training needed, or maybe something else? Thanks for the help. Five stars to the podcast and train road. And you can leave that by the way on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to this podcast. We hugely appreciate it. If you don't feel like we deserve five stars, just let us know what we can do to earn it. You can do that at trainroadcom slash podcast. It says looking forward to getting back on the trainer as he begins project 2020. Before I let you guys go into this and assume that he's correct, Dan, I do not like your testing methodology. Um, <laughs> I think if you really want to do this, go 10 minutes all out, out of the saddle. Then on a different day, go 10 minutes all out in the saddle. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think all the time people think <clears throat> there's, it's a certain way, but it's not that way. And yeah. saying that you do it in sweet spot and based on RPE, you got to go all out to really test yourself. So just, well, but I think for this question that we're going to assume we're going to round table this for oh, sure. Yeah. We got a lot to contribute. Each of us. Yeah. I know it. Yeah. Um, first off, <laughs> Continue to feel safe in the knowledge that this is the most efficient way to go about it, staying seated. Because mm -hmm. even if you generate more power out of the saddle, I, I promise you that for every bit of energy you're putting into it and the watts that you're getting out, you're expending more bodily energy. There's more muscle mass contributing. Right. So you may see more power, but you're pulling on different energy resources, ones that are, are, are more finite. And, and it's just more muscle doing more work. Yes. So the efficiency will remain highest while, while, while on the saddle. There are a few people, if any, man, I mean, there might be just some world-class Richard Veronque type long lanky climbers who get out of the saddle and remain as efficient standing as they do seated, mm. but they are in the far, far, far minority. Yeah. It'd be tough. I mean, that's why we all like to sit down. <laughs> like to keep it very simple, right? Like, because it's more efficient for yeah. our body. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. wonderful that a stronger body Less yields the, uh, these opportunities that provides you with a, a chance to get out of the saddle and not just fall apart because of it and feel terrible because of it. Because you know, a lot of people would do chase that very thing and you've achieved it. So it's nice to have that arrow in your quiver, but it's, I, I I'm almost hundred percent sure that it's not a more efficient way to ride. And Dan, you can test this is when you go to the climb for the 90 minutes riding before do it all out of the saddle yeah. for 90 minutes, <laughs> uh, and then see how well you do then climbing after that, rather than yeah. just a 10 minute section. Cause if it was more efficient, that yeah. 90 minutes should feel better than sitting. Yep. Right. You should feel better at the end. Yeah. Theoretically. Yeah. I mean, and I, we're comparing flat with, with climbing where you're in a slightly modified body, body position. Right. But I still don't think the, the little 10% yeah. Yeah, change no. is going to do it. Here's the, here's, here's another, th or here's an assumption that I have on this is that, and this is pretty obvious, but you've become detrained as a cyclist over that period of time. Right. And as a result, and I feel this every time, like when I take like 
two weeks off the bike and I come back, it's hard. Like it doesn't feel good. Right. Even when you're in, especially like just sitting down, getting used to the saddle again. I mean, you were mm-hmm. mentioning that the, this year when, cause you had a long layoff because yeah, uh, of house stuff and everything else. And yeah. Chad was going through, <laughs> Chad, Chad was going through saddles here at the office. He was going through saddles. Like every week there was a new saddle. I finally <laughs> fell into that rut. It's gotta be the saddle. <laughs> and, and shammy cream. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, and like, and, and our minds were like, no, nah, it's the saddle. Nah, I'm fine. It's the saddle. Or in this case, it's like, you know, it's, it's the position, but it's just the fact that like it, it definitely, when we aren't doing something for a while and then we expect to come back and when it feels different, you should expect it to feel different. You shouldn't expect it to feel normal yeah. and it'll take time to get to the point where it starts to feel normal again. Uh, on the standing part though, the pure standing side of things, <clears throat> I, I, it's, uh, so they, I've noticed that, that like the, the best athletes in almost every case, I know that there are contadors out there that are outliers that stand and perform incredibly well, mm-hmm. but watch the best athletes and they are riders that, that favor sitting down. Absolutely. And you'll even see it like, um, like look at Peter Sagan as a great example. Like when there are accelerations on climbs or anything else, he is not quick to get out of the saddle. He's actually quick to stay in the saddle and then just to spin up. And I think that it's because they have efficiency in mind. Uh, there's one thing between what feels good or feels easy. Mm-hmm. And usually that's short lived. It's off of perception versus what we know on the pragmatic approach, what is more efficient. And, and man, I've, I've noticed. So like, I think all of us, when we first started out cycling, we probably all stood, were more quick to stand when we had to respond to something or accelerate. And with time, we've learned the value. There's the, there's like kind of the tactical value of sitting down and not signaling to everybody that you're going hard, but also just the efficiency value of staying in the saddle to match accelerations or when the road tips upward, it's, it's real and it's there for sure. And if you don't have a power meter, uh, beginning, you run out of gears, you stand up, your cadence goes from 90 to 60 Mm -hmm. and you're like, Oh, it's so much easier standing, but really you're putting on less power. Your cadence is less, um, for the same speed and, or for, you're actually going to go slower. Yep. Um, so you're like, oh, standing so much easier. Yeah. And also uh, another big thing I see is that people, a lot of the time when they get out of the saddle, they don't, they don't stand out of the saddle usually for a really long time. So they glance down at their power meter after one second out of the saddle. And what happens is your power meter goes, oh, wow. So basically it's averaging your speed and your torque. So it thinks that it doesn't have a lot of time to catch up to the increase and in, or to the decrease mm-hmm. in speed, but it does read this spike in force really quick. So when you get out of the saddle, a lot of the time, that's why you'll see like the power jumps really high. Yeah. Check it out 10 seconds after. Yeah, and a lot on, of the time your power is actually lower out of the saddle. I mean, yeah, that's it happens on the trainer me. too. And you can look at the power files and you can see those very characteristic ticks. So yep. You can see when I get out of the saddle, you can see when I sit down, you can see when I, I mean, it's all the same little what is that? A, like a sine sine wave sort yeah. of? Yeah. 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 You can even do this. You can trick your power meter for a second by basically like dropping to your little ring really fast. And suddenly you were doing a lot of force. Then you drop to your little ring and it's like, bang, like you go to 140 RPM for a brief second. It'll be like, wow, that's a lot of Watts. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it, it, it figures it out. Cause it's always averaging it out. So, so looking at it just in the moment might be a little tricky. If you look at it a little later on, uh, when you're out on the road or, or on the trainer and you're, you're riding, check this out and you'll see it's, it's kind of interesting to see. I always think that I'm putting out big power and I'm saying this in quotes when I get out of the saddle, mm-hmm. but many times it's just for a second and then it's less power. And then I sit back down and then it actually starts to kind of stabilize and tick up again. Mm-hmm. So, but it is worth noting that if he, 
if he's holding 330 watts seated and he stands and holds 330 watts and returns seated and, and, and the RPE doesn't change, that does mean he's good at it. Mm-hmm. But it, I, again, I assure you the efficiency is not the same. Right. Now, one thing that I see a lot of people say is like, and, and like you just said, Chad, like it's also like you can be good at it and it might be good to be good at it, right? Mm-hmm. Because you might want to be able to utilize it in certain sections yes. because you can certainly exert more torque uh, in, in a short bit of time uh, when you put yourself into a standing position versus and- to just a seated position. put a different stress on the muscles that have been doing the same repetitious movement over that's and over again. Sure. That's, a, that's a huge relief. The one thing though, that, that like Nate, you've pointed this out before, but like a lot of people say, oh, it's like when you stand, you can do more because you're putting your body weight into each pedal stroke. You're using gravity to help. Gravity yeah, to I help. I had the hardest time with that one, but I, yeah. I, I've seen the light. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not the physics guy. Yeah. So, I got physiology down, but man, <laughs> physics, whew. Yes, but, deal. but, but no. So <laughs> yeah, let's, okay. I'm going to describe this. Yeah. Because uh, I will get hate mail. Yeah. Uh, I, let's go into forum.trainerroad.com. Don't touch on this the one. forum on this one. Yeah. You'll get lost. <laughs> no, no. It'll be great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's, I like to think about this first. It's, we're going to talk about it is potential energy. So you have a hill, you got a rock. Mm-hmm. You push that rock up the hill. <clears throat> now, when the rock's at the top of the hill, it has potential energy, meaning that uh, it's got energy stored and with gravity's help, it rolls back down, that energy is released. So the, mm. the, the, you put energy into it by pushing this rock up the hill, mm-hmm. right? So you, you have it go down and let's say you do this 20 times in a, t- in a row and you go, gravity's doing all the work. Mm. Like, yes, gravity's doing the work, but you had to. It push took the- work to get it back up. Exactly. Yeah. You, you took work to put it back up. And if you didn't have friction and, uh, air density and all this sort of stuff, it would be like a system where there would be no energy lost at all. Right. Because if you could just put it up and then it would come back down with gravity. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're on a bike, people are like, you, you're using gravity to, t- to turn the pedals. Like throwing your weight down. Exactly. Kind of. yeah. So the best way to think of this is you're on the trainer. Your elevation is not changing, right? You're in a fixed point. Mm-hmm. And to get one side down, um, to get the other side down, you're, you have to then push that rock to the top of the hill again yep. for it to come down. If you, if gravity helped the whole time and you're in the same position, you would have a perpetual, perpetual motion machine. Would you would very fast. You would be, you would break the laws of physics and you would be a trillionaire because yes. all energy needs, we would go through space and colonize everywhere. Yes. But where I get lost every time is because you're moving around a fixed access. How does that not affect that whole dynamic? Because the fact is that it takes energy still to move your body. If you look at it, it's not, it's not as if your body is moving to a new place every time. You're putting the rock, the rock back on top of the hill each time with your pedals. You have to be picking yourself back up. Now, if you were going with each pedal stroke, the bottom bracket was going down that same amount. Yes. Then you would be like your potential energy would all be going back out and you wouldn't actually have to pick yourself back up. It's so true. that's called going downhill. And that's also, yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Or going to the core of the earth if you're on the trainer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's how it works. So you are using gravity to push the pedal, but you have to pick yourself back up to do it again and or do it again. We're not physically talking about lifting your pedal back up. We're talking about the weight that you threw down. Exactly. It, it's not like you're continually throwing it down. It has to go back into the same spot. And when you're okay. climbing, um, you're actually picking yourself up higher each time, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. and this is why it takes more work to go up the hill yep. to go higher because yeah. you're after you're fighting gravity with your mass. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully that explains it. Science. And, um, physics. Go into forum.trainer.com uh, if you think that, no, Let's you are. Let's diagrams a, in there. <laughs> no, I mean, there's. No, I want people to, it, it'll be fun. It'll be cool to see. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Potential energy is cool. Like this cup has potential energy. And if I were to push it off, yeah. the energy would go away. Um, I find it fascinating. Like it would, you know, you'd, ex you'd lose some potential energy because it goes yeah. lower. Physics is incredible. Uh, Ivor or Ivor, I'm not sure how you say the name. I apologize. Uh, says, it seems pretty clear that I'm overtrained. I've got many of the symptoms that I see listed everywhere for overtraining syndrome and mentioned in the podcast. For background, I haven't taken a week off in two years. I've ridden over 1,000 miles per month for the last 18 months, 13,000 miles last year, and 10,000 miles so far this year. I commute by bike. Additionally, I started racing last year. I'm 39, male, and at my peak, I was 165 pounds with an FTP of 368. That's impressive. That's, yep. That's a fast person. I moved in May and my commute went from 60 miles round trip to 90. Over time, unsurprisingly, my resting heart rate started to climb from the high 30s to around 50 and my HRV plummeted and is about one quarter of what it was. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Eh, I don't know. It is kind of funny. I was just talking to a Kona athlete who is feels like they have everything nailed in terms of like the recovery side of things. And I was like, were you measuring that with HRV? They're like, as soon as I did that, everything broke. So I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, I should have realized what was going on when I took a ramp test and got 300 Watts. So clearly I need to take time off. He says how much time makes sense and what should the time off look like? Can I lift or run, etc.? cetera? Uh, thanks from Evor. So maybe we should step back, right? Yeah. So if you really have overtraining syndrome, don't be asking us, go to a doctor. It's super serious. Um, it can take a year to Years get back. Like longer. this is serious, mm -hmm. serious, serious business. Um, mm -hmm. next question. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah. but let's talk about it in general without giving this guy mm -hmm. uh, other advice <clears throat> other than go see a doctor. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> pardon me. This is, is going to come down to just how deep a hole you've dug. Sorry to run that metaphor into the ground. We use it a lot, but mm -hmm. that's, that's the case here. So how far gone are you? Um, we've talked about functional overreaching can branch into non-functional overreaching can branch into overtraining and it's tidy and it's a nice way to quantify it. I've of late stumbled onto Phil Maffetone's, I think better description of overtraining because he, he breaks it down into three levels of overtraining. The first level, third level, second level, third level being the worst, the third level being a little more analogous to what most people call overtraining syndrome, the whole syndrome of effects. Mm -hmm. um, I, mean, I, I took a screenshot and sent it to Tucker, so we'll definitely post it on the forum, but it's a very concise description of what, what the signs of each of these stages are, what the comeback from each of these stages requires. And, and it does, it kind of breaks down to, if you're a little bit overtrained, count on a couple few days mm -hmm. to come back, mm -hmm. maybe a couple few weeks, a little more overtrained, those few weeks can grow into months and then full-blown OTS, overtraining syndrome, stage three in his case, mm -hmm. you're looking at months to years and mm -hmm. multiple years potentially. So it's a big deal. Not too many people get it. Not too many people reach it. We, we've talked about that yeah. before too, because you have to be a high level athlete to push yourself to that, or at least a highly committed athlete to push yourself to that level or that depth. And, and you may have, because we're <laughs> looking at your numbers, that's a lot of bike riding. It's a lot of time. But a lot. 300 watts is, so I, he, he still wouldn't have quite a lot of power. So, yeah. and, and it is as a percentage of what he was doing, it's what we're talking about, a, not even a 20% decrease, 15% decrease. So I don't think you're, you're, that far gone, mm -hmm. but I do think you're, you're at a point where you need to take this seriously and, and let, take a look at that chart. I don't want to break it down again because we've covered this so many times, mm -hmm. but look at that chart and see how many of these symptoms align with how you're feeling. And, and as far as the comeback, who can say? You're, you're going to have to to dabble with it. And, and, and then what you do in the meantime, you ask if you can strength train or lift or run. 
probably not. I mean, if, if your body's simply overwhelmed, it's not just your cycling legs are overwhelmed. It's your body. It's, it's yeah, systemic. You can't compartmentalize it like that. No, not your if body it's, doesn't know. Not <laughs> if it's legitimate fatigue. I mean, yeah. Ivor again, Ivor, talk to your doctor. But what I've seen for true overtraining syndrome, people talk about not being able to walk up a flight of stairs. Yeah. It's yeah, you're, not you're a 300 watt FTP for an hour. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But still, uh, maybe if you aren't, maybe you're very close to it. Like maybe this is the beginning of it and people yeah, push through it. Maybe you're on the tipping point yeah. and, and, and continuing doing what you're doing right now could push you over it. And next thing you know, you've saddled yourself with several months of, of recovery. I think no matter what, the the safe one is to rest. Like that's a safe recommendation yeah. for us right now is rest and go talk to a doctor. So uh, somewhat unrelated to Ivor's question, but something I see that's commonly kind of drawn in on this topic is a lot of people just associate like big volume bump and overtraining. And they kind of like almost assume like a causation with that. Right. And, and it's, and, and uh, I, I, struggle with that when a lot of people just basically just tie them in kind of inherently together. Fact is certain people can maintain volume that is, that is incredibly high and, and other people are probably one of these people. I mean, considering what he's been doing and for uh -huh. how long he's been doing it, he's probably got, he does have a tremendous work capacity, Sure, but yeah. he's, he's obviously pushed beyond it and it may just be a, a subtle reset. He may not need a whole lot of whole lot of time off. Yeah. So like it's, it's less. And, and like you said, his tremendous work capacity may allow him to sustain a really high volume. Mm -hmm. However, maybe it's just been the, the growth rate was too fast. It's been sustained for too long. Any other number of reasons, inadequate recovery. There's so many other things that mm -hmm. go into getting you to a point of overtraining than just volume. It's right? safe to say he's achieved some level of overtraining though. Sure. So it needs to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, Man, broken record, but talk to a doctor. Uh, quick little plug for some YouTube content. Uh, for, if you listen to the podcast, you should join us uh, on YouTube. Uh, it's usually Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific like it is right now. Next week is going to be a very different schedule because we'll be in Kona. We're going to get into that really soon. And we'll be doing uh, almost a podcast every day uh, with athletes that have qualified for Kona. Uh, cyclists, if you're listening to this, get off your high horse right now. These athletes are amazing. And if we listen to them, we can learn a ton. So just because they do three sports and they're better than you at that, I'm saying this because this is how I feel inside. Just because they're good at three sports and we're only good at one doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen to them. It means we should listen go, to them. Go to Kona and you'll see a ton of athletes <laughs> who are better than you are. No, yeah. to, to that, like their, their watts per kg are it, amazing. Amazing. And then I, I, we can look at, we have a post yes. in the forum about how trainer road users watts mm -hmm. per kg. And I think the listeners to this podcast are probably very similar. Yeah. They are in the top percentage of cyclists yes. not much triathletes because it's a world championship yeah. so and they yes. can still do a sub three hour marathon it's amazing yeah so um so anyways we're going to learn a ton from different athletes uh and thank you for everybody that submitted uh like uh, that showed interest in coming onto the podcast there were a ton of you we're still going through all a bunch of interviews with you guys um and stay tuned for that but uh you can join us on youtube for these ones and then all of those ones we're also going to have a camera on so you'll be able to see the person that's on the podcast which will be nice but you can tune into our YouTube channel and subscribe because if you do that, you get daily clips. Producer Tucker ends up cutting up a portion of the podcast or putting up a race analysis video every single day. There's one that goes up, which is pretty awesome. Uh, some recent ones that we did, we actually did a video that was pretty fun with you, Pete, and I. It was a crit. 
forgive me. And we kind of had like a one, two, three attack approach that we took throughout the race and, uh, you made it stick spoiler alert, Nate. Um, but it's pretty interesting to see how it all unfolds. Um, and then there's still some, some suspense toward the end. So check that one out. Really good learnings. There's also full races. So if you go into our YouTube channel, we have a playlist for the race analysis stuff for the quick clips that he puts up, but also for full races and people like to watch those when they're on the trainer. So it's just something to have, uh, and you'll get to see first person view of Pete or Nate or myself, something like that. And then, uh, we've done other stuff too, like the Richie rude series. People are loving that, um, from all the race analysis we did there. And then we have an Omnium that we did earlier this year, and it's going to be going up, which is pretty cool. So you'll get to like follow along through the stage race, so to speak, uh, in between or the Omnium between that. So, uh, we're going to get into Jim's question. Uh, it's about cooldowns. I'm going to call cool down. We talked about that last, uh, last time with Amber. So warming down. Ah, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Cringe. Uh, so uh, Jim says, <laughs> not of my question. So he says, my question, <laughs> why do warm downs uh, after the workout always taper down <laughs> to nothing and not stay at the recovery wattage between intervals? I know, I know coach Chad has a reason for everything he does. Usually <laughs> all things, a very intentional man. Uh, but I can't figure this one out and I don't know why it would be necessary. Am I missing out by ignoring this? Not cooling down. Yeah. I said, usually just now, because in this case, there's no specific reason I could have just left it at 40%, but I put it at 40, 30%, 40 to 30%, just because I want to make it very clear that this is the time to wind down. Mm -hmm. It's no more scientific than that. In fact, it's not scientific at all. Mm -hmm. It could just stay at 40%. And you probably achieved the same, same end game, which let's talk about what, what we're after when we cool down. Cool. I'm all for it. Okay. Thanks for, uh, or, or, thanks for or cool up. Oh, if you wanna... <laughs> <laughs> cool up and warm down. I'm going to say it all the time. I'm trying to bring your cooling up. I'm trying to bring your warming up. That you boys sense. cooled up yet? Oh man. You're not trying to bring Ready your to cooling up. All week at Kona. For those that don't know, it just drives me nuts. Oh. I don't understand it. Never mind. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's ahead. talk the purported benefits of warming down. <laughs> thanks, Chad. He wrote that down in quotes too, for those that don't know on the doc. Um, so, so what everyone says, we're after is a return to the pre-exercise state mm. you know just we want to go back to where we started mm -hmm. and this it basically revolves around parasympathetic activation so if we go back to the autonomic nervous system sympathetic ramps us up parasympathetic winds us back down it's mm -hmm. the rest and digest phase and that's all we're trying to achieve so the claims which i've i'm going to refer to as the bro science and the no science <laughs> <clears throat> say that it, that's good it's intensity dependent so if you did a really hard workout you know say you were a lead out train or you race a criterium and you know contested it all the way to the final laps and then sprinted for the for the podium then you're you're in a highly wound up state so mm -hmm. you're going to need a longer cool down than someone who just rolled the last 10 miles of a century yeah Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and then the, the format of the race is dependent too. So if it's a stage race and you're kind of, you feel like you're setting yourself up or the, the, the argument is that you're setting yourself up for the next stage by doing a cool down. Now you're not just cutting off the workout and carrying all the metabolic byproducts and, and all the things that I'll get to in just a second, then that matters more than if it's a, a one-off sort of event. Yeah. Makes sense. Or workout for that matter. If you're doing back-to-back -back workouts, same idea. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, claims are that there's higher blood flow because it's an active versus a passive recovery and that stands up um, that there's a removal or a more rapid removal of metabolic byproducts and that stands up too i'm not sure what the objective is just because your blood clears the lactate a little faster i'm not sure why that's beneficial mm -hmm. um, that there's a reduction in your blood ph i'm guessing that has to do with clearing the hydrogen a little more rapidly i can kind of see where that would make 
makes sense to do it a little sooner than later. Um, blood redistribution, so rather than have it pool in the legs, you're circulating it through the body so you don't get that low blood pressure or hypotension. You don't get that orthostatic hypotension where if you were to stop and sit down, then you stand up and you mm -hmm. kind of gray out. Mm -hmm. That kind of makes sense. Um, the thing is, all these things happen anyway. They just happen over a slower time course. And the argument against that is, well, if I can make it happen quicker, then I can get to the adaptation and the recovery a little bit quicker. So what's the actual science behind it all? The, the only thing I could find, and, and it's a review, which says there's a fair amount more information out there. I didn't dig into all the studies in the review, but that's what reviews are for, to save you from that, mm -hmm. that uh, effort. Um, it does, in fact, accelerate the removal of lactate from the blood, but not from the muscle. So again, what's the point? Um, it may partially prevent an immune system depression. I, okay, so that, that's absolutely desirable um, in that it leaves you, you know, less susceptible to illness over you know, a shorter period of time, or maybe it doesn't even put you in that state. But again, that's gonna be intensity dependent. <laughs> yeah. um, here's what it doesn't do, according to this review by Van Hoer. It's 2018 review, and if you're not familiar, review is just a collection of all the studies on a similar topic or the same topic. Yep. Um, it does not prevent injuries. It does not attenuate long-term adaptive response. So it doesn't diminish the, the training response. That's, that's good. Mm -hmm. um, it does not significantly reduce muscle soreness. It does not reduce indirect markers of muscle damage, does not reduce contractile proteins, does not reduce muscular tendinous stiffness or range of motion. Um, it does not reduce systemic hormonal concentrations. So all those byproducts we're talking about, mm -hmm. it doesn't, a lot of evidence to support that it does, at least not in the muscle. And it does not uh, reduce measures of cycle or improve measures of psychological recovery. So all the things that are claimed, this like review kind of, kind of shot them all down <laughs> and it can interfere with glycogen replenishment. I mean, consider that yeah. rather than, uh, which isn't to say you can't How? take your, well, I think they're assuming that you're cooling down rather than taking in fluids, but you can yeah. do both. So there's the argument against that. I've always wondered when we did, I did rides up Geiger mm -hmm. and then my descent's 20 minutes and yeah. then I have to like go back and <clears throat> we know we don't have to have them that window. You can replenish glycogen over the course of the day. Just but how, more, how rapidly you replenish I know. them. Back in, I was like, I'm going to take a protein shake to the top or like a, yeah. a, like a recovery yeah. shake to the top of the mountain. Yeah. So I can drink it right away and then descend. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, you just, just fill those stores up more quickly. So there's no harm in that. Right. Um, you are kind of blunting a potential for that starved response that we get mm -hmm. by, by remaining fasted. But anyway, um, all that aside, I still see it as a mental separation from the stress you just underwent, whether it was a race or a workout, it's a little time to decompress. Um, it, it's almost meditative. And it just, just like if you uh, wind yourself up by doing a bunch of tasks, then jump into bed and expect to fall asleep. It doesn't quite happen. Yeah. Same way with doing a really hard workout and then just jumping off the bike and expecting your system to just automatically calm back down. You kind of facilitate that, that whole calming process, at least psychologically. And whether or not there's science to back it up, I've done it and it works for me. Yeah. But and it's, it's a great time for race analysis. I mean, yeah. if you did just do a race, there's a lot of time to sit there and contemplate with, with very few distractions while that, that whatever just happened is very fresh in your mind. I have my clearest thoughts. I feel like when I'm riding a bike, so do I, um, like <clears throat> that's Depending when I, on intensity, like sort like problem sorting always happens best when I'm on a bike. Um, especially it's on the trainer brain perfusion, man. It's um, blood. yeah, especially on the trainer, I'm able to really just like sort things through. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, my whole body's busy. And as a result, like I can just focus the mind Who no, knows? every day but, now it's, I start my day with an hour on the trainer and often enough end my day with an hour on the trainer, butter rides. And I'm all telling I do, you, he's going to be dropping us in Kona. All I do is read secret training because, over here. What? because I'm the most 
for lack of a better description, absorptive at that time. I, I, I yeah. retain so much more of what I'm reading when I'm pedaling the bike at, you know, we're only talking like 50, 60% of threshold. So it's an easy ride, yeah. but man, does my brain just heat it up. <laughs> Nate's eyes are Look huge. at my career, Nate. I'm surprised about. you haven't been poaching or uh, stalking me. Yeah. Double days and no fried food <laughs> at all. It, Coach Chad is back. Uh, back. So, I just I, did three by, what were they, 20s or three by 18? No, five by 18s. Four by 18s. At that threshold? Know. Yeah, four by 18s. Well, oh, what God, wattage? God, no, sweet spot. <laughs> Just say sweet spot. It's a percentage, <laughs> dude. Okay, I think I'm going to be fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. So, What's your so, weight? I don't know, like 184, 185. Oh, you're lighter than me. Yeah. So uh, one thing I would just want to recap on this is I feel like I this is something that I never do. I never cool down. I never warm down, whatever you want to call this. You probably do in train hard workouts because you finish the. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely yeah. with that. But I mean, like post race, I'm thinking like it's very Hop rare, very rare that do I do cool it. Down. Like even like spinning around a lot of the time, I, I find that I don't. And uh, I've found such huge help in in watching the race analysis videos that we've done with your racing this year, Nate, and, and being more critical, uh, of, of my performances. I feel like it's really helpful. And this, so this is kind of a goal that I have of throughout this year is to actually force myself to do this. So then I can process the race freshly with kind of a fair perspective, you know, and hopefully, uh, you know, get some, get some benefit from it. So, and two, so Van, how do you say the name Van? What horrors? Whore, Whore? I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that yeah. review, uh, because I know people are going to say, but Team Sky does it, right? right? Or and they do, and I have to believe they have their reasons. So maybe there's more emergent science that I don't know about. Um, also, research. Can we ever think of something a pro team has done? Where? <laughs> <laughs> where are we going where, with this? Anything jump to mind? In the future, not cheating, but in the future, people go, "Whoa, that wasn't the smartest thing, actually." Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And then we all do it because a pro team did it, and then totally, uh, totally. air pressures and tires. They used <laughs> yeah. to be like 150, like just <laughs> basically like until like last year, they were still oh, at like God, 150. No, they're still doing it. There's some people <laughs> yeah. who are still tied to tubulars pumped up to 170. Yeah, it's, like, it's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm just saying, and, and totally. what I'm saying just too, because they do it doesn't mean you should. And just because this review doesn't mean it's, um, science is always changing and evolving too. We We're always like know more. different stuff. And just because we it's don't have theory. the evidence doesn't mean that it something's not help. true. Correct. It's like, especially in all things, this is what's really tough too. Um, in, in exercise physiology, we're hoping for half percentage or 1% increase. Mm -hmm. And usually on these studies, they don't have enough. The, the magnitude of the effect on something isn't large enough for a small sample size. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's tough. It's, to it's, it's really it tough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have that like magnitude and based inference yes. way to do statistics on it, which is not good. Um, but anyways, it's science is tough, especially exercise physiology sciences, because we want that little small increase uh, all the time a hundred percent yeah the absence of evidence does not mean the the evidence oh god I just screwed it up the absence of evidence does not mean the evidence of absence yeah yep. yeah the exactly. same idea just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not there there might be benefit to this true story okay last bit of info then we're going to go into just a handful of live questions that you've submitted on youtube are yeah. we going to talk about kona yes that's what we're going to do right now oh yeah yeah, yeah. is that you. okay uh Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So last bit of info on this. So first of all, we're going to be in Kona uh, Monday through the whole Kona week. Uh, so we would love to see you there. If you are going, whether you're an athlete, whether you're just a fan, whether you're a support crew, whatever it is, we'd love to see all of you. <clears throat> We've had a blast riding with folks, uh, as well, whether it's like, uh, had a number of situations where like, um, uh, there was a, a husband there who was supporting his wife. So he would ride with us in the mornings, that sort of thing. And we're going to be riding every 
every morning at 7 a.m. from Lava Java on Ali'i Drive. So that's like a really popular spot. It's just a like a, a I think it's just like a mile from the race start. Probably uh, we'll finish. be actually at Co Kona Haven, which Kona is right Haven. next to it. Forgive me. Yeah, yeah. Kona Haven. Yes, uh, yes. And right. you can get banana bread to put in your pockets it's and really iced coffee to put in your bottles. So yes. Yeah. So uh, we'll be there at 7 a.m. or leaving at 7 a.m. basically in the mornings uh, for a ride. Most mornings we're going to be riding on, uh, going down to Captain Cook and doing some sort of variation down there. It's a ton of fun. If anybody hasn't ridden that, it's a blast. And then uh, as of now, we think that we're actually going to ride Coloco Drive on Monday uh, just oh, because of weather. kidding? Right. The day we show up. I know. That's the best day because you're going to have – your blood's going to be great and you're not going to be tired from the week. So okay. it's we're the best thinking so and, the and main, it's not raining. The main reason we're thinking we're going to do is because it's not raining. And for those that don't know, Coloco Drive is, uh, it's, it's the hardest climb I've done. I walked part of it. I've never That's done a harder <laughs> climb. Um, it's really cool. I think that you climb 5,000 feet. Ugh. Is that right? I think 4,500 from, something. yeah, from the water, basically oh, from the water. Yeah. yeah. I think so. It's like, and it basically averages, I think that it averages somewhere around like, it's somewhere like 18%, something like that. No, it's, it doesn't oh, yeah. average 18. Yeah, the, the actual climb, not from the water, but the climb portion. It's so steep. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, the cli the turns well, are 20 use. or 30 plus. I had the, uh, so I had the mid-compact last year with a 32 in the back, Yeah. right? Yeah. This year I have a mid-compact with a 30 in the back. What's I try our, to get compact rings, but they're not in stock. What's on our Avengers? You have a mid-compact with a 32 in the back. I know what, what I have in the have. back. I just didn't know what's in the front. 52, so 52 36 yeah. is what we have. You and, should be fine. I went out way too hard. Yeah. I thought it was a 10-minute climb. I'm just looking to survive it. I'm not you're gonna, totally not gonna, right on the, the grade. It's going to be lower because remember, like it would <clears> tip down in between. So yeah, I'm sure the grade's all off. But yeah. the turns are covered kind of like in like, it's like you're in the jungle. So it's kind of like mossy and yeah. slippery in the turns. And like it's they're, they're like Captain, Captain Cook. Uh, much more, more so, so yeah. yeah. And it's like 20 or 30% in the middle of a term when you're doing that. So it, like you, I couldn't get out of the saddle in the, turns. but it's a great time. Well, that's morning. good. And we'll get, it, we'll get it out of the way. It won't be looming the whole trip. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the cool thing is like, it, it's definitely kind of like a, a badge of honor sort of thing to have climbed it. It's a cool thing to do. Sebastian Keenly <laughs> still, on your bike or not? according to everything I know, he does it every year. We saw him last year on Wednesdays on Wednesdays. So it, that's why if weather permits, we'll do it Wednesday, but we'll see. Uh, but it's pretty cool that he's still. I, I don't know if that helps him perform, but in his mind, it absolutely does. He climbs up that thing every time. So uh, it's a really cool climb, but otherwise we'd love to have you join us for those rides. And then also stay tuned to forum.trainerroad.com because we'll have details on hopefully a time where we can all just meet up and some appetizers, drinks, that sort of stuff. Uh, and and hopefully at a reasonable hour for athletes to come to. Uh, for is, there, is there a Kona thread on the forum? There will be today. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, Two, you should know that uh, Chad and I and Pete aren't the best climbers at the moment, <laughs> but we are bringing Jonathan and Brandon. So if you feel like you want, because everyone loves to show us how strong they are, yeah, you yes, can show do. Brandon and Jonathan how strong you are. And sure. Brandon drops you, Jonathan. Oh, so, yes. Like a bad habit. But yep. you drop me like a bad habit. I think that yeah. probably the fitness difference is the same probably. between us two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it'll be a blast though. Um, but all fun. I'm sorry. Um, all... Uh, you don't have to be super fast too. All ability um, levels. Exactly. Uh, we recollect. Chad, Chad, Pete and I are not going to be jamming it. And there's many recollection points, but also I think, especially coming out of uh, captain cook, a 20 minute climb. If you want to push it, you can, then we meet at the top. And there's even like longer back. options where you can take more and we'll meet up at different points. It'll it's, it's a blast. Basically so. we're going to stay together with very few. Let's see how strong you are sections. Yep. Absolutely. So 
it's an exciting week. Uh, man, I, I, I know CrossFit says the fittest on earth, whatever else, but I feel like these are like the fittest people on earth and it's pretty cool Ooh. to see these people do their thing. So that's, I'm excited. I, so. I'm going to record that and put it on a <laughs> CrossFit forum. <laughs> yeah. I'll get some hate. Anyways, if you're a cyclist, tune into Kona, check out everything else, check out the podcast we're going to be doing. It's awesome. Uh, these athletes are incredible. Let's go into some live questions that we've been getting from YouTube, uh, from the folks over there. <clears throat> Lots of people joining us today. So thank you for doing that. Um, let's see. Okay. Somebody says, uh, just joined in, but how does sleep affect overtraining as a busy college kid? I often struggle to get enough sleep. And is this adversely affecting my training? Uh, the answer, I mean, is absolutely. yes, absolutely. Resoundingly. Yes. The there's, hard thing if is there's one thing you could change. It would be to sleep more. I would even say if it comes at the expense of your training, do it because there, there are, uh, far reaching impacts well beyond performance that the sleep effects. It's funny because when we're younger, we can kind of, uh, we tell ourselves we can get away with it, even yeah. though we're probably not You're setting the stage for some bad stuff. Um, but we, we do, especially the college lifestyle and everything else. We definitely push through that. And once you get older, it's tough because then it starts to, really that's when everything starts catching up with you. Get that's some teeth. when the, oh, the, the abuse you've exerted on your system starts to manifest. Yeah. Tego 445 PS4 ass. <laughs> That's quite the name. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have talked about training in heat for benefits. What about winter cold? Being outside in the winter, any benefits? Not so much. Mm. Um, Dr. Anna Friedlander, maybe it's Ann. I think it's Ann. I'm just going to go with Anna. Presented last uh, 2018 at the USAC conference, and she discussed uh, all, various different challenges. Um, heat being one of them. Hydration, I think, was another one of them. And cold was the one she didn't get to. And she said, I'm not worried. I put it at the end in case we didn't get to it because there's really no benefit to it. So <laughs> Interesting. The only thing I could think of would be grit. Yeah. When you think of like... Sure. I ride in the cold racer. Like I do this all the time. No big deal. No, that's absolutely accurate. I mean, in terms of the psychological benefit from it, pretty vast. I mean, they have in, uh, watch the one day classics and you'll hear yeah. athletes referred to as hard men. You know, the guys who, when they see those conditions, they excel. I mean, they, they start mm -hmm. licking their chops because they know half the field just checked out. Yeah. A bit of a theoretical question for us from Charlie. What would be the greatest limiter to getting to a 400 watt FTP genetics or training? And before we go into this, I want to share a story that's pro might not be true. Uh, <clears throat> Pete will be able to tell us, but it's a story about Pete and it's kind of like a, a Pete didn't live here for a while. He was like racing pro everywhere else, but it kind of a myth about Pete was that when he first started training, uh, like with you actually mm -hmm. at the indoor studios, mm -hmm. he just like would always set his FTP to 400. It's not and a myth. He just tried to hold it. Not even that. Until he couldn't. And then he just would keep trying that. He wouldn't even set it at before <laughs> and he would just hit 400 watts and try to hold it for as long as he could. <laughs> yes, I was there. That's not a myth. That's great. That yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. didn't work. It yeah. didn't work. <laughs> didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. That's strange. Um, but anyways, uh, so I guess theoretically, in your opinion, 400 watt FTP genetics or training. It's gotta be a combination of the two. It's always a combination of the two. So, I mean, you can't have a genetic on the genetic side. If you're a 130 pound person, you're not getting a 400 watt FTP ever. Be, right. So there's a tough. genetic limitation, but if you're the, you know, the average man, we're definitely talking about a man here because a woman getting a 400 FTP, I'm not sure that's been done. I don't know. Genetics again. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. But, uh, and then, you know, training can take you quite a long ways, but there has to be a, a combination of the two. You can't yeah, have one without the other. It's really hard for me to, to put greater importance on one of those over the other. But it is genetics. Yeah. It's and that's like what it boils just, down to. You can't, uh, yeah. even with the best training, 
there's a you can't do it. Um, it's like some people. There's a small portion of the population that I think that it's possible to get a 400 watt FTP, yeah. and they're usually bigger people like me. I just don't yeah. want to discourage people from trying and just have them assume that genetically they're bound. That there's right no, no possible yeah, that's way. A, that's an it. important thing to because they can totally block you. What so. I've said, I think that um, I don't have any data back this up, but I think <laughs> <laughs> I think most and we've of the, just regressed 100 episodes. <laughs> most of the population and the, especially the population listening to this podcast because you are self-selecting um can get to four watts per kilo i think that is a sure that's that's a solid thing and that's where i think people should try to aspire to yeah um rather than a 400 watt ftp that's probably a better way to quantify it too yeah watts per kilo maybe maybe say you know what limits me genetics or training to getting five watts a kilogram yeah right and five watts that's a little that's tougher. When it, that's when it starts to teeter a little more toward genetics, I'd have to say. Exactly, yep. Yeah. And like uh, annoying, Mr. Annoying over here, um, because <laughs> you're off the couch, he's four watts per kilo. Uh, and yeah. how many people they train for years never hit it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Genetics are in play for yep. sure. Yeah. So five, five is in reach for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Been there. So I know. Yeah. Uh, Blaze uh, says, crashed on the velodrome Wednesday before last. Should Ooh. I wait till that's scary? Should I wait till I'm fully recovered before getting back on the bike, or can I start back early with light work? So Blaze, it totally depends on what's happened to you from the crash. Obviously, yeah. um, like you know, he's in traction. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's I'm got part of the velodrome still stuck in his leg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, man, like. <clears throat> So the, the two parts of you that need to recover, it's not just the physical side, it's the psychological side. If you go back and listen to oh, the first podcast episode with Amber Pierce, and I'm, I can't remember the number right now, uh, she talked about how she came back from crashes and we had a good, really productive conversation on that. And I think that on, so just because I don't know what physically has happened to you on the psychological side, I don't find personally a lot of value in rushing back to it. Sure. Confronting like mentally, uh, confronting what perhaps caused the crash and isolating that. But I, I've never found that just simply rushing back into it is, is the best cause psychologically speaking, physically speaking, talk to your doctor. Sorry for the cop out, but that's basically the best way to do it. Um, so for me, when I broke my collarbone, I was back in the trainer, like three days later, something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And my doctor said that was fine for me with my concussion and my broken collarbone, but I was not putting weight on my arm or anything like that. But again, everybody's it just matters how you crashed. Yeah, exactly. Right. If you like skinned your knee. Yeah. Uh, most likely you're probably okay to get back in that ride. Oh yeah. I mean, how many times do you see people someone crash and get back in the race, right? In oh the yeah. Middle? Happens all the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. Let's see. Rolling through, by the way, it's awesome because so many people are asking questions and then the other people that are joining us for the live stream, they're answering them and they're answering them very well, which is fantastic. Right? Yeah. We had one person say he's very offended. He's software engineer. Oh no, (laughs) you look great. You're beautiful. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Um, okay. I just, we're just going to do one more. Um, okay. So this is an interesting one that we see a lot of people. And I think it's based on a misconception. Nate, you'll get fired up with this one. Um, so (laughs) no, No, I don't know. Okay. Surprise. So, um, so this guy's Trevor says, uh, why is my indoor FTP so low? He says I can do my interval work at 275 outside and only 255 indoor with the same workout drives me nuts. And I mentally feel so weak. Um, so this is something that like we, yeah, we, we, we see and we hear from a lot of people, uh, cooling. Is the first one to uh, make sure you have adequate cooling and your fan is probably not going to be adequate. Um, go on the forum too. There's the Lasco floor fans. Those mm-hmm. things are next level. Mm-hmm. I use two of those. So do I. Yeah. Um, amazing. 
I'm going to look up the name while you're talking here because people are going to ask for this. Last Coat Performance one. fan, yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, Tucker will put it in the show notes. Um, he just gave us thumbs There's up. a couple good models. Mm -hmm. um, second one is a, uh, I had a huge problem with this, is I had a low inertia trainer for a long time. So if you have one of those tra trainers, especially a mag trainer, inexpensive, uh -huh. feels like pedaling through mud. Yeah. Um, Chunky peanut butter. <laughs> exactly. It can be really hard to put out the same amount of power. Mm -hmm. Chad and I use the, uh, the hammer. Mm -hmm. Hammer's got a gigantic flywheel. And for me, I found that's been very helpful of getting the same amount of power out. Um, the yes. Wahoo kicker also has a very big flywheel. Um, other than that too, like I can, I was just watching Brooklyn nine, nine during a warm up, mm -hmm. so hard. And I put on like up tempo music in the interval. Yeah. So easy. Yeah. Um, consider your headspace. Exactly. Can you share and, and what you're, um, what you're looking at? So it seems weird, but sometimes it goes by the fastest when I'm not looking at anything, it's a dark room. All I hear is music and I see my wattage. That's what I, that's what I prefer to do in almost every case. And when I'm training, I've found that I can improve my performance the best that way. You know, Re reading is proven to be a really productive distraction. And when the intervals get a little harder, a little challenging, when I start to get toward the last uh, three or four minutes of an 18 minute sweet spot repeat, that's when Chad dives into the real deep studies. <laughs> no, seriously, that's, that's when he starts taking notes. That's when I recognize I'm really up. challenging myself on a cognitive level. And then when I ditch that and I just focus on the work, it like, it feels five, 10% easier. It's crazy, right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, so the, I think I'm, that there's a, uh, there's yeah, a lot of pieces to it. Yeah. I have one other thing to say mm -hmm. is, uh, and I have a study again for this, but <laughs> My personal experience was when we first started doing this and had that same ex same exact experience you're talking about um, through actually your Chad's, your coaches or your classes, Chad, yeah. I raised my FTP 50 watts, but then outside it also went up 50 watts. So right. it's, it's, it's weird. Like uh, even though I couldn't put out the same wattages indoors as outdoors, my um, relative difference or improvement was the same. Hmm. And I've seen other people on the forum say that too. But mm -hmm. I think really, if you do the cooling, the motivation and the, uh, the flywheel, you'll get there, you'll get there. Yeah. It takes time. Like for me, I noticed that there was a difference in the beginning and now there's no difference yeah, it's like, at all. Yeah. It's exactly the same. I used to have a difference and I'd like look forward to it. Yeah. And now I've got kind of like bake that in and like, Oh shoot, there's no yeah. difference. <laughs> So for those just listening, it's the Lasco 4900 Pro Performance High Velocity Utility Fan. Uh, it's the thing that sort of like, it looks like what you would put in a basement when it floods and it kind of like dries out a room. You get two of those? Oh yeah. Turn one on the front of the bike and one on the back of the bike and they create this little vortex on me. <laughs> nice. It's magical. I was it's gonna say they'll just cancel each other out. Not yeah. so much. It's like the, the center of a hurricane. One hits the back of my body, the other hits the front of my body and it's well, that's kind of, quite that's nice. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I might try that. As it, yeah, as long as they don't hit each other. As long as they don't hit yeah. each other, then you're good. Because then no, you'll no, be in no. this like stalemate. <laughs> yeah. so just be trying to breathe the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it'd be hilarious. I'm gonna try that. So if you go to the forum, Tucker actually has a link in there, so it's really easy to get. Um, so you can check it out there. But. Well, thanks for everybody for joining us. And once again, if you want to have more of your coaching, cycling and triathlon related questions answered, you can submit them at trainerroad.com slash podcast. If you want to find out more about how to become a faster cyclist and just get faster you can go to trainerroad.com. It's a place to do it. And for all the notes on this episode, episode 223 on forum.trainerroad.com. We'll talk to you all next week from Kona. Chat soon. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.